like D&D fuels their imagination and makes them feel special while drawing them deeper and deeper into the bowels of El Diablo. Observe the previously unobservable. I'm attacking the darkness! (laughs) (laughs) Roll the dice to see if I'm getting drunk! Yeah, you are! Are there any girls there? Yeah! Anyone can play. I don't really know the rules. (laughs) Listen, there aren't any rules. It's a game of the imagination. Oh, okay. This is your character sheet. Your name is Titania. I don't know what any of this stuff means. I'll help you. I'm the dungeon master. I control worlds, universes. Okay, you guys can talk to each other now if you want. Welcome to episode 6 of DCRPG, the Hero Points Podcast. I'm your host, Siskoid, and normally I would have the irredeemable Shag with me, but I'm keeping him for the listener feedback this time. Why? Because, folks, this is the show that looks at the various DC Comics-related role-playing games, and I do mean various. So in the past, we've exclusively covered Mayfair's DC Heroes RPG, because that's the game that Shag and I both know. However, he's played the West End Games DC Universe RPG extensively, and I've played Green Ronin's more recent DC Adventures RPG, so we thought we'd do separate episodes on those with guest hosts who actually share each of our experiences. So to talk about DC Adventures RPG, here's one of my players in not one, but two DC Adventures campaigns, one of them aborted, and one of them carried to term, uh, from the Lonely Hearts Romance Comics podcast. It's Fern! Hi, everyone! DC Adventures. It's uh, You had already played Mutes and Masterminds, on yes. which this is... Based. Absolutely, it's the exact same system, but with uh, DC flavor. Also, this is Hero Points, so are you doing two a year now? This is the third. What? This is the third in 2017, and we're doing a fourth. No, get out of town. Well, at this recording date, which Mm -hmm. is... Months before you hear the episode, probably. I'm going to try to... <laughs> I'm going to forget about I'm this. I'm going to parcel them out. Uh, is, uh, we, I've still got eight months oh, dang. Uh, of the year to find a way to do uh, guess, something with Shag I guess we again. need to actually play another game, huh? <laughs> yeah, do it live. Uh, that's still one of the plans, though. To do... don't, don't say do it live. Bill O'Reilly lost Oh, not job. live. Not, we'll do it live! Not live. But I mean, have a, like record a game is one yeah. of the things that people would like us to do. Let's do it. Um, I'm ready. Coach. I don't know how that. I'm, re- would... I'm ready, Coach. Put I me in. <laughs> well, you'd be good at it, unless you played a mute character, which has happened, as we'll see. You know, no, because I've done that. I can cross it off my oh, list. Okay. So, is there a bucket list of weird characters? It's in my head. Okay. So, DC Adventures RPG is. Let's look at the product. Okay. Came out from Green Ronin. Yep. Uh, the makers so, of Mutants and Masterminds. Yes. So right now I'm looking at the DC Adventures Heroes Handbook. And the Heroes is... Handbook was the core book. It's yes. really, they say Hero's Handbook as if it were a player's handbook. Right. But it's actually Game Master's Guide as well. Um, the main difference from this one and Mutants and Masterminds 2.0, what I loved about the system, it is based off of the D20 system. That's what I hate about it. Well, yes and no, because what I like about the D20 system is, ostensibly, even if you are under-leveled and you've completely screwed up your stats or whatever, you still have a 1 in 20 chance of doing it right. And even if you are way over-leveled, you still have a 1 in 20 chance of screwing well, up. Whatever. So th- there's still that possibility. Honestly, the main thing about the D20 system is if you had a good DM, he would be able to you know readjust things on the fly. There's th- th- there's always that interesting because with the D20 system, I will fully agree, if I decide to go with a character full flavor, 
I am going to be ineffectual, impossible well, to this play. Is, this is so, something that I say about my players and yeah. that I enjoy about my players right. uh, in general. And this is true of every game we've played and certainly that, <laughs> that you and I have played. Yeah. My players tend to build from the flaws up. Yes. They all like to have some sort of a tragic flaw. It, it gives a personality, makes them unique. It, it brings... And it's it's about overcoming that yeah. those shortcomings, right. the game. And it's where the, the comedy derives from. Yes. And I think that's why we have a good time around the table. Mm-hmm. So we play on our weaknesses, and I, as Game Master, prey on those weaknesses <laughs> with everyone involved. Quite happy that I do so. We'll do this show in two parts. Okay. In the first part, we'll look at the books sure. uh, that we do have. and the, Well, the, the only books that exist. Right. And uh, what the system is and the the character modeling is and all that. And then in the second part, we'll actually talk about our campaigns Mm -hmm. uh, together and uh, do the best moments, the worst moments, why one collapsed and why one survived. Yeah. Uh, So we'll we'll keep that to the end. And I I know people like campaign stories, so stick around for that. But even when we talk about the system, this isn't going to be a technical podcast. No. It's about the feeling and uh, all that. So, yeah, you were looking at the Hero's Handbook. Of course, it's gorgeous. Yeah, Uh, these artwork. The artwork on the cover is always amazing. Of course, it's all repurposed art. It's all all Alex Ross. It's all Alex Ross on the covers and the insides. Everybody everybody looks like they're made of wax and they're angry. Yeah, and in the insides are uh, (laughs) it's full. It's like these are hard covers. Yep, and they're um, they're full color, glossy paper. See, like right now, um, what book is this? Uh, Heroes and Villains, Volume One. I just flipped over to page 221, and there's General Immortus, and he's clearly a Nazi. No, well, no, he is. And gen- oh, Gentleman Ghost. Oh, I there love, he is. I love Gentleman Ghost. And it's just that right now, this is the exact same template for Mutants and Masterminds. Okay. Mutants and Masterminds, they've went and created their own generic city. They have their own generic, like, uh, like a Justice League. But they also have their own generic villains. And... What I remember from the campaigns that I played in Mutant Mastermind, I went through the books, and what I really loved is they have villains fleshed out for this campaign that feel very much like they could be just be tossed into like a Justice League Unlimited episode, and no one would be the wiser. They have like they they touch on every trope. They got one that's like uh, an atomic powered brain in a in a power suit who has. A catchphrase where no one will understand the full limit of my genius because no one will survive it. It's like, you know, they put enough flavor. A lot of these games are to cater to the four-color yeah, exactly. comics. And the, these uh, books, as a, as a these books, DC Adventures and Mutant Masterminds, because basically the same system except one has a copyrighted, you know, world to it. Mm-hmm can do the grim and gritty. Like, there are rules for for, uh, Constantine and, like, Hellblazer and all those. Uh, You can go that dark if you want. You can go Booster Gold and everybody's got jetpacks and, you know, everything is great. Uh, You can do that. And I think that's wonderful. This is what I love about these. uh, Well, these came out in 2000... Well, no. I say these. The first one came out in 2010. Right. Just before 3rd edition Mutants and Mastermind. Looks great. All the, Mm -hmm. the pictures are from the 2000s. Yeah. Really? So there's they've sourced images from yeah. the, the past decade of, right. at the time, the past decade of mm-hmm. comics. I think they probably only had that deal with DC. It had to be right. from that point to that point. Or perhaps it was like a production thing. It could that be. The, the colors had to be, they didn't want to recolor right. any panels. So it's it's got to be like a later printing process. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's that because I remember on the website, 
mm-hmm. on the forum, I was looking forward to this game. Right. Uh, so I went on the forum and I participated in discussions for a, a while there. And I saw the, uh, you know, they just released like pieces of the system, just like a teaser. And they were looking for images. So like, can you suggest images for these two later books? Right. Uh, Heroes and Villains, Volume 1 and 2, which is basically the closest we'll get to a who's who for DC Comics in the modern era. <laughs> I mean, this is... And this is this is really a snapshot of pre New Fifty Two DC and Comics. And you know what? You know what? I was going to suggest if you are a big DC fan, these are gorgeous books. Even if you don't want to play the system, just like you said, the Allies and Enemies, uh, Heroes and Villains, Volume One and Two. These are wonderful to have in your collection. They're hard covered. They're probably not that expensive because they are gaming books. And the system itself. Once we get into, like, the mechanics of it, it's not that hard. But even if you don't play, like, there's big blocks of yeah, stats. There's, there's, but there's the full history and personality exactly. of each character like here, and gorgeous uh, art and lots of characters. Oh, yeah. Lots like, of characters. Uh, oh, you know what? I just hit one. Firestorm. So you get the, Originally, versions. Firestorm, and then there's, like, real name, occupation. They got, like, let's see, half almost two full pages of yes, this has background. more text this has certainly more text than um, uh, oh, yeah. the original who's who yeah. and I think for some of the characters more than the loose leaf who's who this Jeez. is basically the who's who we didn't ever got and then those yeah. two books came out and then um, this one? the last one was DC Adventures Universe which is oh. basically a retread of the Atlas of the DC Universe that Mayfair okay. uh, came out with, although all the art is different. It's also later. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, it's not 80s, so you've got a parallel Earth. I don't know, Earth. this picture's pretty 80s right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you've like, got parallel Earths like in that, there. That's which, almost some Kirby crackle in there. <laughs> you couldn't have in, the, uh, in yeah. the the other Atlas because by then the multiverse was gone. Yeah. Now the multiverse is back. So yeah. you're really getting that snapshot of... And I think that's what... It didn't kill the game. I think it was only ever supposed to be four books. And they right. came out over four years. Right. So 2010 to 2013 were the release dates. So it took a while yeah. to get them all to my great distress. And... <laughs> <laughs> no, I kept waiting for it. And waiting yeah, and we, and waiting. we played And like by the time they got those, those last books out, mm-hmm. that DC Universe didn't exist anymore. You know, Flushpoint had happened, and it was all out of date, right. so to speak. To be fair, if, if you want, do you want to play a game in post-Flushpoint or pre-Flushpoint? I, I would not, but, but you know... You, you, hear it, made, you hear it now, listeners. It's like... Pre-Flushpoint. It's like they dated the game out of the gate yeah. with that move. So regardless, I think, I think that's like a perfect opportunity mm-hmm. for a campaign. Mm-hmm. The DC universe has collapsed as you know it, as these books present it. Right. Go on from there. So you get to write the rest of the story. The, exactly. The non-New 52 story, that continuity from that point. And it's like a great time capsule of that time, mm-hmm. which many readers still love. Those are what the, the books look like. Of course, having a lot of art from the 2000s mean you, you get more than your fill of Ed Beans or whatever. But um, <laughs> yeah, what are you going to do? I could be worse. There's probably, well, there's some, probably some Greg, Greg Land, Land in there. Greg yeah. Land traced I'm porn sh- I, I believe there probably is <laughs> I but, mean but look. also you get some you know some, some Jerry Ordway and oh some, yeah you know you get the, the, you get some the, great the quality of the book and the artwork inside is very good so let's talk about the system okay yeah D20 uh, was not my thing correct me if I'm wrong mm-hmm. but Mutants and Masterminds really did poach a lot of its core concepts from the DC Heroes RPG. DC Heroes, and I'd say a bit GURPS as well. Okay, okay. It was very point-based. The system was, you have, on a scale of 1 to 20, that's your character level. And 
at 10, which was the the normal starting point, you got X amount of points. I believe it was, uh, going off memory here, 150. So basically every 15 points that you got, you gained what it was a level. You had 150 points to play with and you could take minuses. So you could take like, oh, well, my hero is blind. Okay, here's an extra 20 points for you to play around with. Why? Because you have these penalties right. because you're blind. Point-based system. Point, exactly. Point-based point character ba- generation. Point-based. And this was the thing that I always preferred whenever I'd play a 3.0 or 3.5 D20 game is during character generation stat-wise... I never really liked roll four, keep three. I always liked having a system where my DM would go, okay, guess what? I don't want your plus minus for your stats to be over plus eight. So I could have four stats at plus two and then two other zero. Okay. So I got plus eight. So if, say, I'm a barbarian, I want plus four in strength. Well, guess what? I only got four more points to play unless I sap something else. It was a version of min-maxing, yet still controlled. Because plus eight, when you look at it on paper, not that much. You can boost one of your single attributes that you're really going to use, but then you're going to suck at everything else. Or you can kind of play it safe and boost a lot of things and just be okay. It was that kind of restraint that I liked when my DM was saying, yeah, just like, I really don't care about you rolling dice for stats. Just do it this way. Mutants and Masterminds negated that entirely because they got, you have 150 points. Spend them however you want. Just like GURPS and uh, DC Heroes. Exactly. But what Mutants and Masterminds also added is called an array. And the array was to basically take a character that has a multitude of powers. Someone who could do a lot of things, and you'd think, well, okay, this person has all these powers, but he's still only comparable to this other hero who has basically two powers, but he's really good at him. How do we do that? Well, that's the where the array came in. Yeah, it's like a little package of powers. It's a package of powers where you take one power, and then you pay very little for all the other powers. The thing is... You can only use one of those at a time. So if I were to, say, take the character that I did, uh, the, the robot one, that we'll, we'll get into later, yeah. and I made it a power array where he was super strong, but he could also shoot lasers, and I put those into the array, well, that basically meant if I'm lifting up, say, a boat, I can't go and shoot my lasers because all of my power for that bracket is used to lift up the boat. So let's use an example from the game here. There you go. For example, okay, so, um, for example, uh, the demon, Etrigan, among his powers is one array, and the array is magic, which includes hellfire projection, uh, matter control, and telekinesis. Right. So he has all those powers, but they're just, they're a magic spell, and he can't cast more than one spell at a time. Exactly. So So he can either telekinesis, or hellfire, or whatever. And that makes them cheaper to buy, so that he can have more powers, more versatility, and yet not be overpowered. Exactly. Uh, Which is just, just... one of many examples. And we'll come back to the demon because uh, there's other parts of it that I... The, the, <laughs> but all, everything is ranked. It's not the same stats as DC Heroes, nope. but uh, everything is ranked in a similar way. Right. So the ranks in here are very much the attribute point system from right. DCH, where yeah. each point is worth double the previous rank. Right. But <laughs> that was obviously a port over or an adaptation right. of right. DC Heroes. Right. Because uh, they've also got hero points, which is the name of the show. Yes. To, to use to boost your stats yep. or create uh, different situations. Yep. You touched on how to build your powers, like create arrays right. of powers. I think, it, for me, the innovation compared to other games I've played, and I've played a uh, fair number of uh, yeah. superhero games, 
uh, is the way you build powers. Right. Which is a lot tougher and more complex up front, although in the game everything's fine. Because yeah. it's not just arrays. It's... What are you trying to do? Yeah. That's the, always that's, the question that's you a need question. to ask to yourself. Because in DC mm. Heroes or uh, Marvel Super Heroes or whatever, you've got a list of powers and basically you yeah. pick from that list and there are costs and yeah. you rank them and whatever. And some you can put bonuses and penalties yeah. on it, but essentially, here's a list of powers, how they work, people pick from the list. Right. In this, that's not quite true. No. What I love about it is that they tell you right away if you do this power these are the stats but it can be whatever like okay let's say i think there's a power called blast and you shoot blast boom 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 boom. it could be uh, like a mutant power it could be magic it could be technological it's a blast exactly it, basically it's You're an sh- offensive attack ray right it's a, it's, a, it's a ranged offensive attack that's literally that's, what that's it all is. it is in effects Right. As far as effects go. As far as mechanics in the game, it's a ranged offensive attack. And there's no real difference between uh, any kind of energy. Oh, yeah. It, you could create you can 10 create, different heroes with right. blast, and the blast would always be completely different or right. have a different source. Because you can you can say, oh, well, this is an electric blast. Awesome. So if you're shooting electric blasts at, say, a robot, well, the robot more than likely actually has a weakness to electricity. But if you're shooting fire blasts, maybe not. It's all based on that flavor that you get for superheroes and the the, the dungeon master so or the game if master. If you were to create that power, this is the difference. Normally, in other games, right. you would create a superhero and give him powers from a list. Right. In this, you also have to create the powers. Right. So, you're, you're so creating... the powers are uncreated. Uh, you've got all you've got a toolbox. Yes. For all these powers, and then you you fit them in. So if you wanted the electrical well, blast that you described, right. you would take blast or whatever, and, and then, then you'd give it a special bonus. Bonus against uh, electronics. You, you just you, basically you know. say electricity base. Right. So electricity base. Guess what? If you're in water and you fire off your electricity blast, you, you might fry yourself. Yeah. You might fry or, yourself. Yeah, you might fry your friends. Sure. The, the thing is, is, with this game, when you start the character creation, if I remember correctly, they basically start you off. What kind of hero do you want? What's your origin story? They start you off. You don't have to start the game. Like the game doesn't have to be uh, an origin story. You could be a veteran hero. I believe in our first campaign, some of us were new. Some of us were more veteran heroes. Mm -hmm. Do you want to have a scientific background? Do you want to have a accident background? Like they give examples, a scientific background. You really do get a section about your background, the complications, which are basically your sort of drawbacks, your secret identity. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, whatever motivations that kind of interfere with yeah. what you might do with the character. That all comes way before getting the to ability. abilities. Yeah. Abilities is chapter three. So there's two full chapters. And that's chapter not even powers. Powers is even later. No, no, no. ability uh, is just like, okay, so you have... Uh, powers is chapter six? Yeah, fighting six. Well, guess what? You're, you're a really good fighter. You could probably make the Olympics. But see, you, so you, you'd get, for example, if you look at a power, there's a power just called damage. Yeah. So you give it... Yeah, you, you give, give it, it its, its flavor. It's flavor, yeah. Oh, look, Red Tornado. Uh, His power is... <laughs> well, he's under flight here, but, you know. And you give your uh, your your powers special features, special yeah. elements. Yeah. Uh, it comes out of your eyes. It, you yeah. know, each power might be on the list. You might have relatively few powers, but... In actual effect, sky's the limit. You can transform any of these powers right. into a, a variant that's interesting. And what's really fun with the system is, so we, we've we've started a campaign. You're the game master. We've done a few things. There's myself. There's Marty and Bass. Hey, let's do a Lonely Hearts uh, DC game. Woo woo. Young we've, Heroes in Love. Right. Chapter two. Young. You know what? Look, that's a good idea. Mark that down. Young okay. Heroes in Love. We can all love each other. It's 2017. That's what, that's what it was. It's 2017. That's what the comic was. Yes. We finished the first 
session or whatever. And it was a one-off. You know, we, we go into the villain's hideout. We beat him up. Hooray. Let's go back to HQ. And you give us points. It was like, all right, you guys did really well. Here's 15 points. Sure. I take these 15 points. So I go from level 10 to level 11 because, you know, it's 15, 15. per level. Okay. And I decide I'm going to take, say, my array of powers, which is, you know, X amount of powers. And it's at level 10. So it's at my character level. And instead of pushing it to level 11, which would keep in with my level. So I'm constantly like, I'm really good at this power. I'm going to, instead of making it as good as I am, I'm just going to add stuff into the array. That's what you can do. You can essentially discover new powers or yeah. add well, variations to it. Yeah, I'm adding gadgets to my uh, Iron Man suit. Exactly. Um, like, uh, okay, I can, uh, through the story, I've increased my Iron Man suit, so now from Flight 4, I'm at Flight 7, which is, woo, that's a lot. Cool. So at one point, I can do that, or I can increase my array where I can now shoot laser beams out of my helmet, but also my chest uh, cavity, or my hands, or my feet, or I have a multi missile attack i can't use it at the same time as all the others but usually you're doing one or two tricks per round regardless so at one point it's this this is where the array comes in that i love the fact because it allows a player to build an actual superhero and not have to wait with like the more traditional DD systems okay i really want say improved cleave where i can just wreck fools well, I have to wait five levels. Now, the, the other thing I liked about this system compared to others mm-hmm. is all the special moves, advantages. Yeah. Normally, in like say DC Heroes, which was the game we've spoken the most of right. uh, on this show, mm-hmm. in DC Heroes, the advantages are things like genius, which allows you to create high-tech technology. Right. Uh, things like uh, luck, gives you like a special luck role at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Like a network of people. Connoisseur. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, attractive. Some of them mm-hmm. are bonuses. Some of them are mechanic based and those things are here they're in the list as well but there are far more uh, they call them combat advantages which are basically just moves and uh, there are some um, some for the like the social more social aspect as well but it's like for example uh, the character can do close attacks yeah plus one bonus to close attacks checks per rank so you can buy it many times like uh, improved initiative or improved hold or improved smash or improved trip which actually has a lot of I mean it's very nuts and bolts very gritty Uh, in the sense of like it's very technical and it's very game based however it It, makes sense and it also makes and also gives you like a bag of tricks but when you're modeling characters which this game obviously does it it takes DC heroes you know stats them out you know like not every hero sweeps the leg yeah but some do if you were to take this and go to say like Firestorm Firestorm is very heavily power based if you go to Nightwing, he's very much these. He's advanced. got these he's, things. He's got those in space. Right. Yeah. Uh, you can model a martial artist using these because you've right. got actually moves that seem to be like if you want to do a wrestler, you've got some grab yeah. uh, and different things. Was but you can you can actually Hellcat do some or? sort of weird experts yeah. like throwing mastery, so it's yeah. throwing the baton or the yeah. like ninja stars or whatever. So you could actually make a character better at fighting just because he's got more tricks. One of the things in other games is that your street-level heroes that don't have any powers all kind of seem the same. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they don't have that many skills usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all the same skills. Right. And uh, they, they're just basically roll for fighting. 
Right. But this gives you a bag of tricks that you're better at. It doesn't yeah. mean you can't do the others. But yeah. it's also got some ones where, you know, use this stat instead of this stat for the, what you'd normally use it for. Right. So uh, it does things like, for example, I'll, I'll give you one here. Uh, grabbing finesse. Yeah. So that's like a, it's not so much a wrestling move as it is more well, of a, it, it, so here you do, you substitute your dex for your strength. Normally, right. you would grapple with strength. Right. But what if you could grapple with your dexterity instead? Just You, you just knew where to. It's adding finesse instead of strength. Right. Uh, D&D had it where you would use your dexterity instead of strength for your melee attacks. It's where you're very much of a flourish. In this case, it could be, instead of being a huge powerhouse wrestler, you're kind of almost like a Bruce Lee dexterous guys you know exactly where to strike and how to snake in to get the grab than just overpowering right it's not about the strength and there's things like that or there's ways to uh to do feints or distract an opponent yeah it's ways to use your other stats to make the battling or the combat experience or even the social interaction experience uh, more varied. Right. And different people are good at different things. That was one of the things that I also liked about this system, mm-hmm. which was new to me when I read this, of course. I've never played any D20 except for this. And there's a lot of damage states, so it's not always... You're not just, like, knocked down. You can be paralyzed. You can yeah. be stunned. You can be frozen. You can right. be... Uh, so it's, it's got a lot of different... And that's... Uh, although I like that mm-hmm. complexity, mm-hmm. I think that was also my turnoff when we played that original game. It was very daunting I, for I found, some players. Yeah. And, and for me. Right. I, I, you know, I'm used to playing fast and loose, mm-hmm. and I like to improvise while mm-hmm. I, I game master, as you know. Yeah. And this was a little too mathematical, and I didn't have enough of a handle on the system up front mm-hmm. to make those quick changes. Right. And... I would like to say by your, our second attempt, though, you had a lot more understanding of the system, although you did combine it with yeah, yeah. Uh, some another system that you uh, did play. The Doctor Who. Right. I used the Doctor Who system, and then I merged the two. So it wasn't D20 anymore. It's like 2D6. Right. I used the success tables from Doctor Who. I used the right. initiative system from Doctor Who. So I basically purged D20 right. from the game. However, I would say that if you were to rerun it just on the mutant masterminds, you would have a pretty because building the character and once you sit down, you build it. It's very daunting from the start. For me, it had been a while since I'd played mutants and masterminds, and so I just sat at home and I was building the array and I was constantly checking my points. And on, on one point, I was like, "Oh, I I missed five points," and then I redid it and it's okay. I've spent five points too many. Where, where's the issue? And then I would go, it's, "Oh, okay, it's here." That can be tasking and any rpg game the first session if the characters have not already been made is just character generation you know it takes forever and it actually ends up being boring for you know the the one or two people who are either finished or knew more again personally i don't mind because i enjoy playing with you guys but even then i did my research at home so because I figured, well, I'm the one with the most experience of the system. I'm just get this out of the way, and then I can help out others. Yeah. Like, and I like doing the, you know, I always guide players through right. um, charging, as I call it. Charging. Charging. But um, <laughs> charging. I like the idea of charging, because it's like charging up an yeah. avatar with stuff. Yeah. yeah. So the, the system itself is a bit complex for that. But when you boil it down to the results... It's super fast. It's super easy because everything is based D20. 
if you're the game master, you know, all right, well, they need a 20 to do this. They're, they have a minimum plus 10, so it's a 50-50 chance. Cool. So it's very easy to to adjust. You know what? I got lost in your explanation because it's there's a, a level of abstract okay. in the game that I never took on okay. properly. Uh-huh. So blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, it, it, to me, it, that is not obvious. Okay. And as a game master, I'm too... I like to be focused on story. Right. Much more than rules. Right. And so that was a lot of looking up rules or how does that work? And let's not forget that role and the defensive stuff. And it was a bit too nuts and bolts for me. And that's why the the campaign collapses will... The first one. The first one. And that's we'll we'll talk about that in the the second part of this. So I got nothing against the system. Mm -hmm. And I think it's got some nice... In terms of character generation, Mm -hmm. I like to work with that. Right. It's just once... It's how to implement that during the, the session. Uh, you know, I didn't have D20. It relied on you quite a lot. You know what? We'll talk about why it collapsed. I don't think the rule set was necessarily the only reason. All right. Uh, I'll throw some people <laughs> under the bus. So, um, is it me? Is it me? It, it isn't you. I think you, were, you had the best character in that law. The one I wanted most <laughs> to play with subplots and whatever. Um, no, truthfully. Truthfully. <laughs> he was the worst. Yeah, yeah, I like that. So, <laughs> the final thing I'll say about these books yes. is that one of the things that I like about the whole arrays and mm-hmm. building your own powers is that you can have fun with naming them. Yes. And some people will have telekinesis and telepathy and yeah. that, that'll be in bold. With some characters, they really put on some flavor. And right. I, I took out a few examples here, but let's look at... Um, yeah, volume one of You, you mentioned uh, Etrigan. I did mention Etrigan, and let's go back to He's this. He's right there. Here are his actual powers. Mm-hmm. I like how they did, for example, and this gives you the idea that, oh, yeah, I can do that, or it yeah. makes it more fun. Okay, he's ageless, which is immunity one to aging. Oh, and then yeah. they say it costs one point. You know, right. But he's got array. Well, they're not necessarily arrays. Sometimes they're just a bunch of powers that are under a same heading. Right. So demonic prowess, which is a package that gives them enhanced advantages, mm-hmm. improved initiative, enhanced strength, mm-hmm. uh, limited to lifting in this case, leaping, quickness. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's body. Yeah. Body stuff. Yeah. But it's called demonic prowess. And then he's right. got demonic regeneration and demonic resilience and demonic senses. And he's heartless. Uh, which means he doesn't have a heart. He literally has. He no literally heart. has no heart. You cannot pierce. You can pierce his chest. Right. But there's no heart there. So he's got no blood. Or maybe the blood is just you know, just constantly. he's a sponge of blood. <laughs> uh, but each of these things could have just been called regeneration well, and resilience and the, senses. The, th- the thing is, but it's dem- you they, know, are. It, they are. They are. It, it, point wise, that's I can, all they are. Yes, that's you're all right. they are. And then someone went. Well, I'm just going to put this as demonic blessing. So it's, you see, like, dem- demonic senses. In this game, there is only a power called senses. And for each point you take, you can pick from a list of senses right. uh, that you might imagine. So for him, demonic like, senses, like four. Like He's got, it just means senses, four. And yeah. it includes dark vision, extended hearing, and extended vision. So you probably, uh, one of these costs two points. Yeah. So, with, a, with a weakness to common sense, because he's Etrigan. That might be in his complications, where you also find uh, very often some uh, some of the flavor. Right. So for him, enemy, Clarion, the witch boy, power yeah. loss, so when he turns into Jason Blood, yeah. um, vulnerability to holy weapons, yeah. and a weakness, he's bound to demonic laws. Okay. So if I, if I challenge him to like a, a musical duel, yeah. <laughs> he so has he, to. So these are like very loosey-goosey, the complications. They're not yeah. like minus to this and the oh, penalty no. for that. Here's another example I liked. Uh, oh. Uncle Sam Uncle from Sam. the Freedom Fighters. <laughs> um, like, for example, the power is elongation 
three. You can yeah. stretch. Yeah. They call it national greatness. And then, you know, the explanation is elongation three. Uh, he can dimension travel. Mm-hmm. It's called From the Heartland. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got uh, enhanced strength, but it's called Strength of a Nation. Yeah. Uh, he's got senses and you know, like a cosmic awareness kind of thing. It's called yeah. One with the Nation. He's immortal, but it's called A New Birth of Freedom. Timeless Principles. Power of America. We Grow them Big. Yeah, so it's, they've got names like that. And, and my absolute favorite is actually Ambush Bug. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Ambush Bug is power to break the fourth and fifth wall yeah. by creating the fifth wall and smashing it because Ambush over Bug, your head. Actually, even the text is different. Where instead Isn't it of, written in like Comic Sans or something? He's it's, written it's, himself. Oh my God. And then there's always an editor's note kind of setting the record straight if it can. Yeah. And um, uh, it, there, there are stats for Cheeks the Toy, the Toy Wonder, his doll. Which is all in the minus fives and can't do anything. But he himself, but his powers. He's got protection with that suit. It's called, but under the green suit, I bruise like a peach. And that's the name of the power. Uh, he's got deputy continuity cop. Senses. Continuity awareness. So you can imagine what that is. Uh, yeah, there's a power called pop. It's his teleportation power. It, it made me. the pop noise when he... Yeah, it, it always, it, like the, the air sort of... Nice. He's got uh, dimension travel, so they call it popping over to Earth C. And he's got luck control... Of course. Which negates the use of luck or GM-imposed complications, uh, and it's called, <laughs> that's not in my contract. So th- the character actually has that fourth wall breaking yeah. element right in there. Mm-hmm. In his equipment, he's got a copy of the DC Adventures Hero's Handbook. So he can actually use, he's got so, the book. So right now, he's basically DC's version of uh, Deadpool. Deadpool. Yeah. Well, he, was, he always ma- was. But... Probably he, he was sli- before Deadpool. Yeah, but probably slightly less murderous. Uh, just yeah. slightly. He's just, he's just dangerous. And then, of course, all the flavor text is him speaking to us. Right. And arguably not, not necessarily being very uh, uh, game to be in an RPG. Another fourth breaker there, Animal Man. <laughs> Animal Man. So, so there's a lot of flavor in Absolutely. some of the characters are just in a straight pipe, what you'd expect, oh, yeah. but like Superman. Yeah, sure. Yeah, because he's one of the of... iconic ones that yeah. he's basically what you look at and then everybody else is different from him mm-hmm. in some, some way. But a lot of the characters have that kind of flavor mm-hmm. and that encourages you to also put flavor in your own characters in games. I really like that makes these reading these books as yeah. well. So it's a nice reading experience regardless of the system. Now, in the original book, just to, to say, the original core book had like a dozen heroes and a dozen villains. There are some... Prime examples. Some examples of yeah. each... You know, like, you get your super friends and you get your Legion of Doom in there. Mm-hmm. But um, these other books, the Heroes and Villains, Volume 1 and 2, beautiful and yeah. lots of... Some characters I didn't even expect to see in there. So there's some Is obscure Wannabe's ones. there? I, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Awesome. So you you got a lot of different characters and Detective Chimp. Everybody's in there. Detective Chimp, yes! And it's one of the reasons that uh, we played the second campaign yep. uh, the way we did. And unless you got anything to add... I would like to, and this is, we're not paid to advertise for these books, but if you are a genuine fan of DC Heroes, uh, RPG games with superheroes, DC fan just in general, I would highly suggest you buy these books. They are wonderful, just like for the art, for the info, even if you don't plan on playing the game, just like as you were saying, there's a lot more info for some entries than there are in the who's who. If you're not going to play the game, skip the core book, the player's handbook. Get the, and get uh, the, the heroes, heroes and villains and the uh, Super uh, Galaxy. DC Adventures Universe. Yeah. Get those three. Yeah. And, I mean, that's it. And yeah. y- y- there will be no more products. Right. This is it. 
Yeah. There, will, there are no more. There will be no more. And so you know it's not an open-ended collection that will right. take you a lifetime to collect. We'll take a small break, and when we come back, uh, we'll talk about the actual campaigns that we played with. Woo! In 2011, the irredeemable Shag and Aqua Rob Kelly teamed up to create the Fire & Water podcast. In 2016, they teamed up with Ryan Daly, The Franklins, and Siskoid to form the Fire & Water Podcast Network. A network built on teaming up needs a show about team-ups. Marvel Team-Up. Yes. The Brave and the Bold? You know it. Marvel 2-in-1. It's clobbering time. DC Comics presents... Of course. Supervillain Team-Up? Good idea. Youngblood X-Force? Mmm, technically. FW Team Up, coming this summer, only from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. We're back. Hi. Uh, so we played two campaigns. Yes, we did. I game mastered both. So let's talk about the first one, which was Aborted. Well, D20 no DC Adventures. That's yeah. I took out my little. I they're not binders. They're just like folders yeah. with all the character sheets. Oh, I, I like to keep them at home. Here it is. Yeah, I'm rediscovering this one because it's been quite a while, and we yeah. had uh, I guess four players, and the the whole campaign idea was didn't have a lot of D20 products necessarily, right. but I wanted to be able to play with adventures or uh, settings right. from all over the place and all over the DC universe. So I was mm -hmm. at the time. So I guess this was like 2008, probably. Late 2010, Oh, no, it has to be 2010. We use DC Adventures. Right. So it has to be at least 2010. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was uh, inspired by the Booster Gold series <laughs> of the late 2000s. Yeah. Because in that series, Booster Gold would time travel to different parts of the DC Universe. Right. All across the, the DC Universe and different continuities even. Yeah. And he was sent on missions by, essentially, Rip Hunter, Time, time Lord. Uh, not Time Master. That's the name of it. So basically, I used, I did away with Booster Gold. Right. So it's Rip Hunter working with this group of heroes, which were all created by the players. <laughs> which were all misfits, so we basically preempted Legends of Tomorrow. Mm. I mean, honestly, if you think about no, it, no, yeah, right. we, we pulled that almost like four years prior. Yeah. I, we should call him, ask for a check. I have, um, <laughs> I think I have a history of doing that because um, <laughs> uh, we also played, I also played a GURPS campaign that was essentially Warehouse 13, okay, which was called Warehouse 23. It was the same idea, right? With just a little more John Woo to it. So, <laughs> but but before it actually happened, right. I think we did some stuff in the Doctor Who RPG that <laughs> actually did things that the first season of um, the Matt Smith nice. Doctor uh, did. Okay, so one of the things I did for that, and I'm opening it here for the first time since then, mm -hmm. is I created a blackboard uh, like um, uh, Rip Hunter's. Mm -hmm. Because in the Booster Gold book, he always had these blackboards full of clues as to what would happen in the DC Universe mm -hmm. uh, during the year and what Booster Gold might be asked to go through. So there was like a lot of hints about whatever crisis was coming up right? or what was happening in the other books, which was a great fun for fans to like try to find the clues. So I did my version of that, which was basically going to be full of clues as to what I would do in the game. So basically... But we never it, went past the second session. Every every little clue here is a session in itself. It should be. Like an episode. But I have no idea what these mean now. I know this one. Okay, No Man Escapes the Manhunter Tapes. That was our last session. It was we session did that number one? two. 
Yes. We did that. It was with uh, Funky Flashman. Okay, okay, good. That's the introductory adventure scenario in the DC Heroes second edition game. Okay. And I've used it many times because I love it. Right. And there's even a picture of the tape. So yeah. okay, that one, I know what it was. Right. Okay. There was we that did one. It. You know what? Before we get into this, let's present the characters we have. Oh, okay, okay. Okay. So you were the game master. Yes. No character. Uh, no well, char- Rip Hunter. Yes, Rip Hunter and pretty much every everybody else. Marty played an Aquaman-esque amalgam of a dock worker who is a really big fan of heavy metal. He could animate water. He had a trident. Shelif was, I think, a time-displaced musketeer Here's Marty's. He's okay. Triton was his Triton, name. okay. Yeah. Triton. Yeah, he even, like, he even drew the guy with uh, water and... Oh, steam bombs and water punch. And yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very um, anime of yeah. him. Well, it's Marty. Oh, Fleur de Lys, is that something? Yeah, that's Shalif. So, Shalif was a musketeer, you know, 14th century swashbuckler. But see, he did the thing where his powers were actually given, like, the flavor. Nice. Because he went with, uh, like, his speed was called Liberté. It's the Liberté, Egalité, Fraternité, which are the three colors of the French flag. Yeah. So, uh, and his enhanced fighting was Egalité, and his enhanced presence was Fraternité. Yeah. And you can tell what those are in English because it's pretty much the same words. Yeah. So he did the, the flavor thing, which is which is nice. See, I, I even did the same with my character, but... Uh, we'll get to it. Uh, then yeah, yeah. Uh, we got uh, uh, Julien, who played... Tesla. Tesla, which was actually Nikola Tesla. Nikola Tesla with his rocket skates and yeah, Tesla <laughs> electric gun. gun. Force yep. field belt, electroscape. He was a steampunk uh, gadgeteer. And probably taken out of time because we were yeah. playing with time travel anyways. Man, we really did do Legends of Tomorrow. Mm. Dang. And then there was yours. Emerald Centurion, which was basically a play on Iron Man. However, the twist was my character started off not as a hero whatsoever. He actually was the hero's battle suit. And his uh, origin... He became sentient? Yeah, he became sentient because... Some fight, I think I said, with Weather Wizard, because whatever, we need to throw away villain for this episode, got blown through a radio shack. I can say radio shack. They don't exist anymore. They're not the source. Uh, blown through a radio shack and had to fix his suit, and he just ransacked a bunch of TiVos for the electronic parts. And because TiVo has that programming where, oh, if you record a lot of this shows, it'll sometimes record similar shows that it thinks you might like. So it got like this weird artificial intelligence inside it with the original From programming TV. and it just came alive. Right. So it essentially was the battle suit without a person inside. And I actually did that. Like uh, Protection 10, I called it bulwark armor plating. Uh, regeneration was the TiVo parts. Communication was wideband wireless rapid AM FM micro, which we actually uh, came into play with the uh, Manhunter tapes. Flight was Phoenix Mark 7. Yeah, I just went nuts with that it was fun you know i love that character because it was a legacy character see, but see like here it says in his complications he's got fame because of his heroic lineage and that was right uh, because of his heroic lineage because his hero like the original hero was part of a long line of right. heroes that went through, back we like, said went back to like roman times yeah which is why he was the emerald centurion yeah exactly so that was all stuff I, because we were playing time travel right. obviously you'd meet some of your uh, yeah legacies you know, some of your ancestors. Yeah. Uh, and we never got to that, to my uh, great huh. shame. Yes. At collapsing. Well, you know what? We, o- we were only two in. We can bring this back, you know. What are your best <laughs> memories from this campaign? Okay. Well, this was my first campaign of playing a Mutants Masterminds after a good while. Personally, I took the stance. I'm going to try and make a character that's 
not too much in one specific area because uh, because of the system I knew it was kind of new for everyone else I just wanted to basically just plug a hole here and there so I didn't go too crazy with the character I really liked it the first episode was uh we were at the docks I remember lifting a boat for some reason and then tossing it and then realizing oh crap we need to get on that boat and now it just went and tossed it okay so I flew everybody onto the boat and then dropped them off and then you know we, we found solutions around the problems we were creating which was funny which is what usually happens with superheroes they create their own stupid problems the second episode was the manhunter tapes and for from what I remember, it was one of those episodes where we never really did much combat, if at all. Like, we did a bit as, like, the opener. The it's, scenario is really about uh, going on reality TV and trying to convince the audience to, to that, phone in to give you the right. tapes with your secrets on it. Right. Rather than give it to villains. Who will essentially Use broadcast it, yeah. them to the world. Right. And that one played on... It's not always about fighting. The system, you know, is still designed to you know, have cool combat, but you can't do it because by doing it, you're giving valid points to the villains to get the staves to release your secret identities. Right. And, it's and that like, is where, as a game master, I live. Yes. I live in the social interaction and humiliating the characters. Yes. And you humiliated us <laughs> with Funky Flashman. It was great. And the thing is, is I remember the way we solved it was by me going into the master tape room where the tape was hidden because it was all all in like a TV studio. Mm -hmm. The Manhunter tapes was hidden amongst all like the master TV recordings for that one TV station. And my character went in there and basically dropped an EMP wiping the tape, but also wiping all of the master recordings of the TV that he enjoyed because he was a sentient robot. He could stream TV through like the airwaves while on a mission. So he's just watching Golden Girls in his head. Yeah, that was part of your... Yeah, that was the whole the part shtick. of his thing. You know, it was like, Three's Company, come and knock on our door. And he's just fist-fighting villains, whatever. Just, I'll be waiting for you. <laughs> and this, people, is, is for not going too crazy no, with no, the no, character. No, no, no. Okay. no, 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 no. Uh, I went... I just, just, just want to tell people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, This is for not going too crazy. No, not too crazy. It's just had, crazy I had sound, enough. I had sound <laughs> clips on my phone that I would play. Like, uh, oh, yeah. Instead of replying, like, I just... Your move, creep. It's like, why did you say that? <laughs> it, it felt opportunistic. Like, Emerald Centurion was an idea I'd been kicking around for multiple games. And like any role-playing game, they are, I would guess to say, 75% non-starts. I want to start a game. What system? Cool. What time? All right. Awesome. They never start. They never get even past character generation. Shag and I talk about that all the time. It yeah. happened to us. Many times. It's, right. It's just part of the... You know, eventually... That's why I don't say no to these things, because I know that even if I say yes, more chances are it's not going to start. If it does, great. Awesome. Because I enjoy it. But if it doesn't, eh, I'm already not playing anything right, right now. You, so you don't whatever. lose anything. Exactly. Let's look at the other campaign, because... Yes. All right. Let's uh, let's break yeah. open... Yeah, but, but before we break okay. open, we did say we would talk about why this one collapsed. Well... But one of the reasons was I wasn't comfortable with the system. Another was that I liked my concept, but I was, I don't know. Very often I try to do these multi-genre games where I can pick and choose from different books afterwards through the time travel element here. Right. But I felt like I'd been doing that too often and for mm. too many games. Uh, and uh, I sort of bored myself. Got stale for you. Just, okay. just then. And I realized that, you know, by the second session... 
And I wasn't as enthusiastic about, you know, once you sit down with players and they make characters, what can we do with those characters? Right. And sometimes the chemistry's there. You feel it around the table. There's The personalities are working well together. Yeah. The players are enjoying playing mm -hmm. those characters. And that makes you want to keep well, going. To be fair, one of our players was very hard to read if he was enjoying it at all. We had like a, like a like, stone-faced, quiet player. Yes. That you have to draw out. Are you having fun? Yeah. It doesn't feel okay, like it. Okay. Uh, and then there's that. Then there's um, the kind of player who will get frustrated mm -hmm. uh, that maybe he didn't cover all his bases or that right. his character isn't playing out the way he hoped. Right. Um, that happened in the next campaign as well. I've made some characters that on paper and in my head, this is going to be a great idea. Actually play them. This is a terrible idea. What the hell was I thinking? Sometimes it's easy to let go of a campaign. Because the players aren't really bugging you to keep going. Mm -hmm. So that was one of those where there was like the lull between session two and session three right. got so long that by the time someone asked, it's like, well, I, I started thinking about playing some other game. Right. And that's all that happened. The second campaign we did, which yes. is much more, more recent, we ended it like a couple of years ago, yes. uh, is uh, was called Justice Legion. I've talked about this on the show before with yes. Shag because it was my ongoing campaign at the time. But it's really a weird combination of elements because it was supposed to be precursor to the Legion of Superheroes. Yes. But centuries after the main DC universe. Yes. And it was an idea that was to take a bit like the Marvel's 2099 approach mm -hmm. uh, or Guardians, the original Guardians of the Galaxy, mm -hmm. where you would have characters that were pre-made. The way it worked is that because this game was mm -hmm. so top-heavy, mm -hmm. character generation heavy, as we as we talked right. about, uh, I would just take the characters as given in the in the books already right there, yeah. and then I would just tweak them by making them futuristic versions. Oh, man. So they're either the uh, descendants mm -hmm. of main DC Universe characters. Or pre like Pharaoh Man is a precursor to a Legion character, mm -hmm. you know. So so they would have the same names or similar names. Yeah, very similar. Like because this is you know the uh, 28th century. And then so it, I, might, it, I might tweak the powers, add a yeah. few powers, remove a few powers, change the complications, whatever. Yes. But it was basically I didn't have to redraw a character, and no player had to do that either. Basically, here's a character you, you're going to play. Right. And people would, at the beginning, mm -hmm. what are the choices? What, what right. kind of characters you want to play? And some people would play a character forever. Right. Like but, you. Because I played a Green Lantern. I played the dumbest Green Lantern possible. Brick. Brick. Uh, B-R apostrophe. On fireandwaterpodcast.com, not mm -hmm. only will I put pictures of the <laughs> books and right. the interior so you can see how yeah, yeah. nice they look, uh, but also... Put a picture up of Brick because we do have yeah. an avatar of him that was at the table. And it's just behind you there. Yeah. So uh, Brick and his, his green board. And his green board. I, like, I found a whiteboard, but no, it has to because be in, in the During the Sinister Core War uh, storyline in the comics, uh, you saw a lot of Green Lanterns, obviously, like yeah. thousands of Green Lanterns. Yeah. And, and in one shot, and it's like this joke character, perhaps. Oh, it is straight up a throwaway. It is like a, like a full-page splash. And you've got a lot of Green Lanterns. And there's one that's just, it's just a brick. Yeah. With, with a, a green band around the it. The green band that's with it. the logo on it. It's a square. So we decided to take that image and make it a character. Exactly. So he is, it is a brick, a yep. non-sentient brick. Yep. Made sentient-ish by the ring. By the ring. And it was uh, it was always contended because in his powers, like, he has immunity to stamina attacks because, you know, he's a brick. He has no life support. He doesn't need right. to breathe or whatever. Immunity, mental attacks because he's a brick. Yeah, has no and mental... 
I think at one point there was a villain who tried to read his mind to mind control him. It's like, well, why can't you control him? I don't know. Maybe because he's a brick. He's a brick. Which <laughs> is like, but how is he moving and doing stuff? I don't know. So one of the he's conceits was that the character could not speak. Absolutely not. So you use the green board to create just basically just, just squibbles and basically yeah, basically right. what he would create with the ring. Right. And if ever the ring was out of power, then the brick, brick would be a brick. Exactly. It would not even be able to recharge. No. Someone would have to just basically take him to his battery and just... And this is something, because we were Justice Legion, this He's is something that... He's a hero that, that can be thrown. <laughs> yeah, like, the fastball special could literally have been done with him. Because he could have been thrown, then create a, a baseball, then throw it. It made no sense. And that's, that's why I love this character. I love playing this character because... As a silent protagonist with the dumbest, cheesiest power ever, the Green Lantern Ring, about able to create light constructs, which, honestly, I it's not that I felt like I was pulling back. Like, I could have been, like, the dick Green Lantern, just do everything for everybody. I didn't want to do that because I enjoyed playing with the other players and seeing what they were capable of doing, too. And I just remember, it was like, all right, we, we need something to stop this. And there was that one where we went to the Greece uh, Attack of the Titans planet. Uh, it, Crete. We had a new Cretan uh, empire right. rise up. And uh, yeah. you had I to bring him I in. created the Great Wall of China in the middle of the battle to say, hey, guys, how about y'all stop? <laughs> but I can't say anything. So it's just a hard light Right, wall. he would speak oh. in ideograms in a way. Right. Yeah. Like, uh, I think one villain, I called him, I drew a screw and then a baseball, so he was a screwball, and he didn't like that. And then there was one villain where I had the brick floating at the end of the street wearing a little uh, duster and a cowboy hat, so it was like uh, Unforgiven or The Man With No Name, and right. we had uh, like a shootout, and I won because I rolled like a 20 on that and the one. The one I loved reason. was uh, when we uh, we had like a fight with the Fatal Four, which was like a... Yeah. Three Fatal Five and similar characters, but there was a uh, an analog yes. to Brick, yeah. and, like an analog, arch, yeah, arch uh, enemy of Brick, which was a, a, a log, a yellow ringed Sinestro Core, yes, log called log L apostrophe O G, just like Brick is B R apostrophe K, yeah, uh, log yeah. was uh, chopped down by uh, Space Paul Bunyan's axe. <laughs> <laughs> Made out of green, you know, energy. So you created the Paul Bunyan. Yeah. When we captured Biz Starro. Which was in, probably in, my favorite bit of the whole campaign. In a giant fishbowl without a plug on top. And halfway through the adventure, you turned to me and you said, wait, that's a fishbowl, right? Yeah. Is it plugged up? No. So he could have gotten out? Yeah, but yeah, he's still in there. Globe. It was, it, it was like a little fishbowl with the top open and yeah. he's just banging but around the wall. what I loved about Bistaro, <laughs> just to give like a, one of my favorite bits from that campaign, is of course it had outer space stuff. It was like yes. 20th century. Uh, and uh, half of the stories were set on Earth. Uh, because Earth was coming united, was becoming a right. uh, like a, a united Earth, and that was a space one. I wanted the adventure to start with you having a supervillain already captured, mm-hmm. bringing him back, bringing him to prison, and that's when the adventure would happen. And then that creature, well, that whatever that villain was, mm-hmm. might cause problems, might escape right. at some point, just to create a complication. That was the idea, but I didn't want, to, I didn't have that all prepared mm-hmm. I, so i asked the guys who do you think would be a nice uh, <laughs> yeah i remember uh, this who do you want to already have captured yeah. and we'll do a flashback to how you got him uh but you'll have him in tow and remember, you know i love to do the, those little teasers yeah. which we don't have to roll up it's just let's just no, tell the story y'all just creamed him 
Yeah, and let's just tell the story how it happened, yeah. and then let's move from there. It's like how I wish uh, Spider-Man 3 had opened. Basically, Spider-Man beating the crap out of Mysterio. Let's just start the movie. He's As he, done. It's like he, he's he's just smacking on that fishbowl, then he's got him webbed up. And it gives you the impression as well that like the... The universe is living, it's breathing, it, yeah, it's, and it's happening. And even though we only played seven sessions of that. That's like seven games. That's it. And that's we finished all... in seven. Yeah, and Dang. it feels like way more because oh, yeah. feels... I thought I thought we, we played like ten, twelve. No, no, no. Bizarro Star was probably Bizarro. your idea. Yes. And when <laughs> we merged it to Bizarro, and the the conceit was that he doesn't conquer worlds, he mind controls whole populations into leaving their world behind. Yes. So it's like all reverse. He was just too dumb to escape the fishbowl. That's the thing because he's big starfish. But he's also Bizarro. Right. But a lot of fun gimmicks with the Green Lantern ring. Yes. And the fact that Brick was an inanimate object. Yes. Um, on the on the, the Cretan adventure, he didn't have a room so much as he had a nice shelf. <laughs> see? So we played with that. and yeah. uh, But he was also, because I like to humiliate players, right? Yes. Or characters. Yeah. It's one of the things I like to do. <laughs> and the, the, the fact was that whatever characters people played, no matter what, Brick was the big hero. Brick was the one people wanted an autograph from. Brick was the one that was that had the fame and the respect of yes. the general population. Because he far was more a than Green Lantern yeah. who was using like pop culture references from 800 years ago for some reason. Because we never established... Wait, wait, wait. Is he like a brick from like the 1980s? Or... It's like well, we, for... we never established it. He's like, how old is he? He could I be any know. age, right? Did, uh, uh, how did, did he get chosen? Yeah, age, 800 plus. 800 we plus. don't know. We don't right? know. So some of these characters were, because he's the same brick yeah. we saw in the Sinister Core War. Exactly. So he had to be at least 800 years old because yeah. <laughs> uh, in the early 2000s, Mm-hmm. He was a member of the Green Lantern Corps right. already. And so you played always that character. Uh, Marty was set to always play Pharaoh Man, uh, but only wound up playing one or two games. And then um, some people played, uh, like, uh, uh, Put. Play the question, I remember he that. Played, um, he played this one, which is the Gordy West. The ancestor of Wally West, who only had, like, a fraction of the speed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he played uh, Martian Manhunter. Yes, he did. Okay. And he probably played Fennec. um, Oh, yeah. See, Fennec was the one you played. Yeah. I played, which was basically Vixen. A male Vixen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, he was like Black Dynamite mixed with Vixen. Yeah. And because it was an underwater adventure, I picked two. I have to put that down here. Because I remember I was during the the session I was like quickly googling on my phone um, powers an, power like animals underwater so I picked the pistol shrimp which has a sonic attack 185 decibels loud and can heat the water up to 4,700 degrees Celsius and then the Portuguese man of war which has venom that does severe pain and paralysis in humanoids also maybe death. <laughs> And it was just like... You're just showing why I like animal mimicry. Uh, yeah. As one of my favorite power sets. You know, we had all sorts. So, um, who played uh, Solomon Grundy? Fred? Uh, so Solomon Grundy... Did he play him, though? That's my question. Yes, in the very end. In the very last uh, uh, episode. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then, Aaron Strange, which was played by Saint Pierre instead of... Uh, apparently and he played for... him a couple times. So, so some yeah. of the players played a character all the time. Uh, or whenever they came. Because it was like open-ended. Sometimes you came, sometimes you didn't. Yeah, two pages. And some, me. like Put and Fred, yeah. played... A different character each time. Yes. What I did like is you basically gave us a list. Hey, which characters would you like to play? And like, I even selected a few. But mm-hmm. My thing is, I want to play the Green Lantern. And you were like, yeah, sure, that's fine. It, it, it actually ended up being good for the run, I'd, I'd like to think. You know, these guys would cycle through the characters that you'd say, all right, today you're playing this character. And, oh, 
guess what? You're playing also this character. And that was fun. I genuinely yeah, like that concept. We had Wildcat as well. I think there was a few more in the in the ones that were tagged. It was like a, the, the Demon Etrigan might have shown up. Because yeah. he would be immortal. Yeah. So it would be easy to bring him back. Uh, Martian Manager was just still him, immortal. Yeah. Uh, but the question was... A new uh, a successor hero, a, right. a new question. Right. And Put was great at that, was doing like all the conspiracy rants from uh, yeah. the Just League Unlimited cartoon. Yeah. He's all that kind of character. Yeah. But yeah, so a few more, you know, he actually had a power. He actually yeah. had a, we actually modeled the conspiracy figuring out right. as a sort of senses, like cosmic sense. See, his powers are All the Pieces Matter, which was an yeah. enhanced awareness. Yeah. Uh, which was connective awareness. Once per game, make a perception roll to gain information about the great conspiracy. Yeah. And he used that. And I used it was a... about the crime bible or something. Right. Oh yeah, we had that. We put the crime bible in there. Face scrambler was basically the instead of the, the faceless mask. mask, it was actually like a scramble was... effect. Yeah. You know, I found picture. Usually, yeah. the changes were based on a picture I found. Right. Like something from, uh, you know, fan art where they redesigned characters. Right. I'll include Dress. it on the website as yeah. well. So you can see, like, I'll include a few of these, Brick. Right. And uh, so you can see what, you know, what character sheets look like right. and how we integrated pictures. But basically, these were all created without the players. Right. Mostly. And uh, just, you know, handing you off this and the basic personality that we've discussed probably uh, yeah. over a chat. And yeah. let's go. And we could actually do... Basically, the campaign was a mix of DC Heroes adventures. Uh, we did, like, the political stuff from Taking Out the Trash, which is a Watchmen adventure. Mm -hmm. We did Project Prometheus, uh, which we've talked about on the show before, mm -hmm. for the Cretan one. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. just adapted them to the future, adapted them to the larger storyline of... Yeah. It's important to unite Earth to be invited to the United Planets. Right. Like, you know, Legion of Superheroes Year Zero, basically, mm -hmm. where uh, we're just setting up that future. Mm -hmm. And it's important. And the characters are really involved in that. Mm -hmm. And the Dominators and the Durlins and all that are trying to stop it. Mm -hmm. And for all those adventures, the space stuff uh, and that conspiracy stuff, I mm -hmm. basically uh, pulled from the Star Trek Next Generation RPG mm -hmm. uh, from Last Unicorn, which had a um, an adventure book. Called right. the fragile piece, and that's what we call oh, the yeah, campaign. Oh yeah, the fragile piece. It was always a fragile piece, and oh, God. Oh, and we always, you know, plug that in. A lot of the social interaction elements of the game were about mm -hmm. creating that piece and negotiating yeah. a piece yeah. side by side and, with and, the superhero. And action. also, you trolling every other player. Well, like the one I believe it was the Bistaro opening. Where we had Swamp Thing in space. Oh no, that's the Project Prometheus one. Project because, Prometheus. Oh, it the, started I off? said the Dominators. The, the teaser was the Dominators sent a well, secretly sent a comet right. our way, so right. it was going to hit Earth, and uh, that's why Project Prometheus is about a a shield, oh, right? right? A shield. force shield, yeah, yeah, a planetary yeah. shield. And we so, were like, hey, could y'all just lend it for us for a bit? Because you know? this is going to be a problem from now on. Right. And then Fred, who was playing Swamp Thing, had to roll like a ridiculous 20 to find this one piece of <laughs> biological material that he could, in the middle yeah. that he could grow out and then go, I hate you guys. Yeah, no, Fred <laughs> didn't do so well in that part of the adventure. I remember, oh, I remember what happened. I created a giant baseball bat and I knocked it back into space. See? We don't know where it went. I could have done the that. Sun, the, the sun, the sun. Maybe. I think so. Maybe. I, you know, I could have done that from the beginning, but I was like, you know what? You, you try your yeah. best. Well, it's not trolling. I actually had like, if I were playing Swamp Thing, I had like a billion ways to fix <laughs> this problem. Uh, oh, yeah. He did redeem himself later with yes, um, yes, he did. Uh, other things. In particular, he, if he was the one playing Plastic Girl, that's one of the my, my notes. When I look back in my notes, yeah, I, I put like a lot of 
uh, smiley faces at the Plastic Girls stuff because it was hilarious. Yeah. So he really played that character well. It's like mm-hmm. the zany... It was Plastic Man's descendant, but really very mm-hmm. loopy. Basically, as, as Woozy Winks was integrated into uh, it. I think it was, she looks like Velma uh, from oh, uh, Scooby-Doo. Yeah. I think that's... I really want to read my synopsis of the very last episode. <laughs> I put that on my blog at the time. Yeah, okay, right? go for it. So this is how we all wrapped up everything. The Earth stuff, the space stuff. The, yeah. the story culminates in a Dominator plan to annex a planet on the cusp of United Federations of Planets membership, just as Earth is. Aaron Strange, descendant of Adam, right. uh, and Green Lantern Brick yeah. uh, were joined by new members Grundy. Oh, Sol- yeah. Yeah, Solomon Grundy as a more cultured but no smarter southern gentleman zombie. Yeah. Uh, and Gordy West, Federation ambassador with a tiny fraction of Wally West's speed, mm-hmm. and stopped a Durland spy from destroying the planet's unity. Simultaneously, the question, Wildcat, Martian Manhunter, and Oracle were on Earth exposing the new Earth president's murderous VP as a Durlin. Uh, so we beat, um, I think I was playing we beat Wild... Supergirl on I this. I, I think I was Wild Girl, uh, Wildcat on that one. I'm that makes sure. sense. Uh, while a teaser took care of a long-standing subplot featuring Enigma, a female Riddler, yeah. uh, destroying Batman's legacy in Old Gotham with Fennec, the male vixen, Plastic Girl, Pharaoh Man, and The Question, putting her in science police hands. You basically got to play three characters in this. And we yeah. just like got three teams going. Mm-hmm. Uh, it all came together quite well, it says, with great conspiracy rants from the question. Put at some point said he wondered if he could be a Durlin agent yeah. and not know it, and that he'll never know for sure. This was a kind of craziness. Uh, the Green Lantern ring passing to a creature that is essentially Godzilla. Yep. So that I was remember the death that. of Brick. Well, no, it wasn't the death. Okay. Because Brick himself became part of a construction, like there was a, like a little mud hut that someone was building, and they just took the brick and put it in there. So he is part of something greater right. now. Here's my last <laughs> sentence on the. <laughs> synopsis uh or no the two last sentences the two space adventurers that's uh, aaron and uh West, uh the two space adventurers consistently stealing each other's thunder yes sepia was very good in this uh in this role sort of a zab brannigan yeah type and solomon grundy being reborn on a monday and leading the resistance on a swamp planet the same swamp planet that my green lantern went to the, to the mud hut yeah and this 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 is why I love miniseries in gaming because you can do the open ended and uh, you know it lasts forever and there's yeah. no end in sight and you're catering to you know you're just investing more and more into characters that's mm-hmm. fine but in a miniseries one designed to be only 10 episodes only 6 episodes yeah. 7 in this case you can give a final end to your character that can be funny mm-hmm. poetic epic and uh, you can allow your characters to die mm-hmm. or retire in some way. And that's part of the story. And I think well, it's too few characters in long-standing campaigns get to do that. We did that with our Savage Worlds. Yes. And that one was what? Like eight, I nine, think ten? Ten episodes? Here's the thing. This is why I love this. Not that I was getting tired of playing Brick. But when I'm playing a game and I'm looking at the system and watching others play, I'm getting ideas. Oh, next time I play... I want to try this. Next time I play, I want to try that. If I'm stuck in a long-standing, never-ending damn campaign, I will never play these things because I'm already in this campaign. If after, hey, we do 10 sessions, we did 10 quote-unquote episodes, this one is done, awesome. I got to end my character more or less the way I wanted to, you know, depending on my choices and what you have. I get to do another character. I get to try something yeah. different. It's like uh, in a video game. It's all right. I played the yeah. the warrior class. Cool. Now I want to try the wizard. And this so. is a tradition. I I mean, it's not like came out of nowhere because in our previous DC Heroes stuff, yeah. I would do that a lot. And mm-hmm. Like you had a like guest player. 
Mm-hmm. Everybody had a character they made themselves, but then whenever a guest player showed up, uh, Marc Duaron or... Uh, Red Tornado. Uh, Beba oh my uh, showed God. up as uh, Blue uh, Devil, just to name people. Yeah. Maybe force them to listen to this because I name-dropped them. You know, I just, you know, hand them the, the character, and, and maybe that's why I thought Put played Plastic Girl, because he's played Plastic Man in that... Right. In that context. And, and very well, too. So mm-hmm. you would give them a character that was already fully created, existed right. in the DC universe. You already had an idea of what the character was right. like. because it might be, like, one of your favorite characters. Sure. And then go with that. Yeah. Everybody else is playing. And then for the, the other players, it's a guest player who's yeah. only in town for that weekend. Right. But it's also... A guest star in their own comic. It's yeah. like, oh, it's a crossover with actual guest stars. So it Why plays the same you play role. Batman? Come on, we, we need yeah. more viewers. Come on. <laughs> it's just, well, it's the same concept, and yeah. it has the same feeling. And for the characters, it's, oh, an established star has guest star in our book, in our story. I'm your guest star. I'm going to bring you new views or listens or whatever podcasts count. Yeah. <laughs> no. Michael Sano. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one. 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 <laughs> Fern fan out there. <laughs> you know, I've done this before, and this was just doing it for everyone. Right. Let's just do it that way because yeah. character generation, like you said, sometimes you don't get past it. Right. Sometimes it's too tedious or too, uh, right. and you don't get to the session. Mm-hmm. Here, let's just call a session. Yeah. People show up. Here's your character. Play. And Boom. I know that people play like that in other games. But um, it wasn't something that we were used to. It's always like, oh, let's invest in character creation. But this was just as fun. And the players did not need to do all the, the homework. Right. Well, the, the thing I mean, it's is, a different experience, but it, it's just well, as valid. It, absolutely. The thing is, is with DC Adventures, we're already very familiar with the source material. So there's a lot of grunt work there that we don't need to do. We all know Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. We, we know all that. With this, it's like, okay, so we already have that level. Whereas with regular mutants and masterminds, there's analogs we can use. Like uh, they have their own kind of Justice League, which I think is called Metaphor. Don't quote me on that. You're quoting yourself. It's, it's a podcast. Damn it. So, yeah, they have, like, their, their group metaphor. And this is, ah, metaphor. I get it now. Awesome. It only took so me, that, like... Maybe that's it, yeah. Yeah, it only took me, like, six years. Mm, all right. That's something that, okay, if a player is new to the system, they have that on top of that to remember, to, to think about, to that. And when I played it, the first iteration of Mutants and Masterminds, I'll share this because my friend Brad uh, yelled at me so much for my first character... I basically, it was a proto-brick. It was a sentient potato. It was a potato with a little, uh, I think I actually took an Alex Ross Superman picture and just took out the cape and put it on a potato with a little uh, domino mask over like one of its multiple eyes. And uh, it could just shoot laser beams out of its eyes because it's a potato. And if you try to mind read it, you'd get nothing because it's a potato. And it could not speak. And unlike Brick, it did not have the ability to project, you know, whatever. So it was just like a floating potato. And everyone just was like, oh, yes, the gamma potato is here. And then it would just float there. And then it would do heroic stuff. And then it would go back to just floating there because it's a right. nuclear-powered potato. And I was shot down immediately. Oh, they didn't, he didn't let no, you play No, it. absolutely not. <laughs> There's so, a difference between uh, Brad and myself. Yes. Uh, well, I took that idea and went, okay, you know, I understand it's absolutely not feasible. So I changed it and I saw that brick and, you know, brick was born. 
but I wasn't the only one to be shot down. We had a, a friend of mine, Carlton, who wanted to suggest Headless Robespierre as a magician slash wizard displaced in time who was Robespierre with his head underneath his arm. And he you could just cast spells. And if he ever dropped his head, he lost his magical power until he touched his head. Mm. Uh, one of them, another character he tried to submit was uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, where this guy just basically had a baby in a little papoos and had super awesome nunchuck skills and, you know, insane martial arts. But if you ever dropped the baby, he lost all his powers. And we were like, Carlton, great I, idea. I love it. However. What? If you drop the baby while doing some sick ninja shit... Well, don't don't drop the baby. <laughs> exactly. Don't drop the baby. Don't drop the baby. Uh, I think we ended up with him being... Oh, yes. He was a Russian astronaut that went into space and then got magical genie powers. <laughs> Carlton was great for this. Kind of like almost like a fire. Not as good as the papoose. Well, yeah. He also submitted Judo Lizard, which was just a giant lizard man who knew Judo. <laughs> And that was his name, Judo Lizard. Well, you know, one of the great superhero campaigns, because, you know, I, like I said earlier, I got bored with the time travel one. And it was too much like different things I'd done before. Right. And I did not get bored with the Justice Legion because I liked the, the DC Universe, but slightly off. Yeah. You know, because of the time difference, because everybody's a legacy I, I think you mean slightly better. Mm. Um, but, mm. Um, but my great holy grail yeah. of superhero gaming mm-hmm. Is and I don't have the players for it, or I never had the players for it necessarily. Is Not really yet. like a Grant Morrison D- Doom Patrol oh. deal, where everything is just that level of absurdity, yeah. and the characters are actually like even the, the power sets would be like a metaphysical kind right. of idea. I think your friend would fit that. Oh, Carlton, yeah, <laughs> because either, definitely. It's either that or a really a like a straight up comedy version a hero hotline or a uh, inferior five or if i ever do superhero gaming again Mm -hmm. which right now i'm a bit tired of it i I like talking about it right we got some great stories but i've run like right now this is probably not necessarily rekindling the fire but just say oh it's putting it back on your map i've got ideas okay i've got ideas again but i would like to do other genres oh yeah personally i've run superhero games for you know, since uh, 1990. Right. So, all, the, all the Dream Park stuff kind of... Even even that has superhero yeah. elements in it. If I were to go back to superhero gaming, mm-hmm. I would want it to be pushing either the Vertigo yeah. high weirdness yeah. or straight up comedy comics. So uh, where can people find you on the internet, Burn? Uh, I'm always on the internet. It's something that my mom reproaches me of. Uh, you spend too much time on the internet. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at sign Idiot Brigadier. You can follow me. It's cool. Uh, unless you're a spam bot, I will not follow you back. And I'm also, I have a blog, which I have not updated in a long while. Uh, it's actually a challenge that you gave me when you were doing a radio show. You told me to play Skyrim live on the air, which is weird, but no. It was that kind of show. It was that, it was that kind of show. And you not kept, unlike this kind of show. Not unlike this kind of show. And your updates were, so what did you do? As well, I had to eat 15 apples. How's your heartburn? Terrible. Uh, but, you know, I survived the giant uh, spider attack. And the thing is, you told me use no weapons and no offensive magic. So it was basically a straight-up punching run. That inspired you to I did write a, full, a blog about it? did a full-on blog of my run through Skyrim where I did every piece of DLC. So even building a house, I guess I just punched the nails in to build the walls. 
That is at geekoutskyrim.blogspot.com. It's been a while since I've updated. I also did a run through Fallout New Vegas and Fallout 4 where I was trying to do survival mode and that went horribly wrong. I actually think I'm going to start up a new uh, playthrough after watching uh, John Wick 2. Maybe do just a solo... Uh, man with dog. Man with dog, a, a small pistol, and, you know, a, a, a nice tuxedo and try to survive. But still plenty of content already on that site. Yeah. Uh, it's basically synopses, and it's all well told, so check that out. I, I mean, it's worth some laughs. Uh, a few. Like like three or four, guaranteed. Uh, guaranteed. And what happens if you don't meet the guarantee? I don't know. I'll go to your and house of course, and I'll uh, you a steak. You can find Fern uh, oh, absolutely. Nine, nine times a year, maybe, on uh, the Lonely Hearts <laughs> Romance Comics podcast with me, Marty, and uh, Bass. Yeah. Um, We're trying to do more. I'm sorry. It's my fault. No, it's not. Shh, take the blame for okay, you, Okay, if you want to take... It's yeah. almost monthly. Um, and we talk about uh, romance comics and yeah. the romances in comics. Yeah. So that's... Uh, it's, it's a fun time. It's a fun time. And it's also less misogynistic as you'd think uh, for dudes talking about romance it's, comics. It's not, yeah. yeah. No, we're very progressive. Yes, we are. It's about mocking some of the, oh, the bad ones. Oh, definitely. Definitely, yeah. Check it out. Yeah. So thank you, Fern. You're welcome. Uh, then I'll let you go and uh, replace you with... Shag. Oh, no. Well, we've got to cover a couple episodes of feedback. Okay. We didn't cool. do any last time because he was too lazy. No. Maybe you have to stay. I just threw Shag under the bus. I'm not sure you no, can. I'm correct. not sure you can do the listener oh, no. feedback. I'll do it with you. Sure. <laughs> we'll what, does Shag, what does Shag sound like? Um, obnoxious. Yeah, I'm Shag. <laughs> no, that's not it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm Shag. I'm, I'm the redeemable Shag. Yeah. <laughs> I'm obnoxious. No. Well, we'll see. You compare the voices, <laughs> listeners. Uh, we'll take a, a promo break, and I'll see if I can extricate Shag from under the, the wheel. I just got through underneath the bus. <laughs> the exhaust system is rotten. They get, need to get this fixed. <laughs> oh. The oil pan's dripping. You just got burned. <laughs> no! Don't bring that back. I was free. <laughs> I was free. You cursed me. Why? Why? Why are you a hateful genie? Welcome to the world of tomorrow! <laughs> the Legion of Superheroes through the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, the Baxter series, five years later, the reboot, the three-boot, the retro-boot, the animated series. We have banded together as the Legion of Super Bloggers to cover it all. Seek us out at legionofsuperbloggers.blogspot.com. Why do you always have to say it that way? Haven't you ever heard of a little thing called showmanship? It's a small world after all. It's a small world. Great comics come in all shapes and sizes. Coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It's Digest Cast, a new show dedicated to our beloved pocket-sized treasures from that bygone era of the 70s and 80s. Hosted by the Fire and Water podcast team of Robin Shag, and we'll be joined from time to time by special guests. It's Digest Cast, because big things come in small packages. Coming soon to the Fire and Water podcast network. Yeah. 
And we're back. You know, I've let Fern go home or whatever. I waited for Fern to go home, which is basically what happens. And uh, I've welcomed Shag into my life once more to read some listener feedback for our last two episodes. Hi, Shag. Hey, buddy. How you doing, man? Thanks for uh, giving me the week off. I appreciate it. Or the first half of the episode. I got a nice little nap in while you and Fern were chattering in the other room. Oh, my God. And then he never leaves. Anyway, so... uh... (laughs) I like this impersonation of me. That was pretty spot on, I'd say. (laughs) Oh, was it? <laughs> All right, so we've got a lot of feedback to go through. We're not going to read every single line, but we are going to read from everyone who left a comment on our blog and uh, elsewhere. Two episodes to cover. Let's start with episode four, which was the Justice League source book. Oof. Remember that one? Oh, that was awesome. So uh, first comment comes from Clinton Robison from the Coffee and Comics blog and the Coffee and Comics podcast. He says, so glad you're finally covering this. The cover is beautiful, except for one thing. Nort looks like a complete dumpster fire. Seriously. <laughs> you know, he, he's not far off. Nort does look completely out of whack. Uh, next, we have Chris Franklin, uh, who, uh, you know, from Fire and Water Podcast, of course, Supermates, Power Records, Batman Nightcast. I'm sure he's doing other things in his life. He beat Michael Bailey to this comment. He said, still listening, but before I forget, Superman's flashbacks to his Justice League adventures uh, were detailed in Action Comics 650, I believe. It did specifically mention Starbreaker and the Weapons Master, etc., which mm. were mysterious lines in the source book. I seem to recall I called those out, saying that's kind of weird that they did this pre-crisis stuff. Yeah, yeah. He also says, great show, fellas. I think I actually did get this for Christmas the year it came out. I think my mom got it for me. Picked up from one of our big city comic shop trips. Even though I never could get the gaming going, I still still love the book as a league reference book. Mayfair's print and layout limitations dated a bit, but it's still fun to browse through. Absolutely right, Chris. It's a beautiful book. Great mom. Yeah, exactly. Because that that's, you know, putting that on your Christmas list is really, really dangerous. That's a deep cut. <laughs> yeah. Ryan Daly, also from our network, says, Great show, guys. Will this be a weekly? To which I answer, a twice weekly. Thanks, Ryan. That joke was very weekly. Uh, then we heard from our buddy Michael Bailey from the uh, from Crisis Crisis podcast and the uh, writes over at the Superman homepage and now with the views from the Longbox podcast network not just a podcast it's now a network folks anyway he says I picked up the source book back in the summer of 1991 at Walden Books and he asks for a moment of silence please for Walden Books I have to give that to you. It goes on to say, I have played uh, very few role-playing games in my life, so I didn't get a whole lot out of the book uh, on that level. But like the Superman source book that I picked up a few years earlier, this book was full of the kind of info that I craved at this time. I devoured the book and continue to love it to this day. And he goes on through some other comments, but he does say that image of Dr. Destiny's entry it freaked me the F out when I was 15 years old. Yeah, when you're not ready for it. <laughs> it's right out of a Sandman oh, yeah. comic, so... Um, let's see. Oh, yeah, this is uh, from American Hawkman, who left it on Cisco's blog of Geekery. I immediately shouted out to you, holy crap, Shag, because we went on about how Gypsy is rubbing up against Hawkwoman's wing on the cover, and it was kind of strange. And we never realized through the whole podcast that the Hawks are not otherwise in the book. There are no stats for Hawkman or Hawkwoman. That's insane. I cannot believe we missed that. I mean, they were so thorough about the different eras of the Justice League and including so many different variations on different characters that they just skipped the Hawks by accident. I mean, it had to be on accident. It couldn't have been on purpose. There's no way they would have gone, yeah, let's keep Firestorm's elemental version in and the female Dr. Fate, but just strike the Hawks. 
because they were even part of the Justice League International team at this point. Hawk World in the wings, uh, so to speak. I don't know. It's it's a very odd oh, omission. You know, I wonder if it did have something to do with Hawk World. Hawk World itself fixed the continuity problem by saying there was like a Hawkman and Hawkwoman one you know, 1.5. Well, hold on. That fix wasn't done until much later into the Hawkworld series. That wasn't right out of the gate. That wasn't until, like, I don't know, Hawkworld Annual Number 1 or something like that. It was far down the line. Yeah, so they don't have an answer, but then but Hawkman and Hawkwoman, you know, can't have been in those Just League adventures. So even though eventually there's a retcon that says, you know, when they were around during Invasion, during Millennium, there's an explanation eventually, but the source book doesn't know that. Wow. So all they did was just wipe them out of history. And But they're still on the cover. Right. Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> McGuire was drawing them in the book, you know, at some point. Yeah. Ugh. All right, crazy. Then we heard from our buddy Daniel R. Budnick. He says, thank you for the great episode, guys. I never did much gaming apart from some D&D and a bit of Marvel game, but I still found it very interesting. I was usually in charge of the games, and I'd always throw out all the rules to make sure I got to tell the story I was making up. Sounds a little bit like your homebrew game there. Uh, and mm. then he goes on to say, you made me run over to eBay and pick up JLA 50-52 through 52 and JLE 26-29, through 29, right up to the breakdown story. Oh, Nice. Uh, we have Joe X who asks, how many times has Maguire used that cover layout? <laughs> so I did a little research. Oh, did you really? Yep. Others have homaged it, of course, but right. I count at least 24 instances of Maguire doing that cover. Now, the are you talking book? about for public... Because he's done it, not only has he done it for comic books, he's also done a bunch of commissions. Are you counting commissions as well, or just comic book covers? I'm counting commissions that I could find on online. So... <sighs> 24 times that are readily available by Googling it. The source book, the original, of course, Just League number one. The more prankstery alternate drawn as a commission for a fan uh, version of that cover. There's a Just League International 24. Uh, his Justice League entry in Who's Who update, which I could count. Uh, it's not a cover, but it's the same shot. Uh, Justice League Europe number 36. Justice League Antarctica Annual Number 4, which is reversed because they're looking the wrong way, which is a fun idea. Right. Justice League Europe Annual Number 2, uh, the Armageddon 2001, uh, with a very strange team makeup. And these are all still Maguire yes. doing these? all of these are Maguire. Okay. Arguably, Justice League America Number 29, uh, which is Blue Beetle surrounded by gorgeous women, kind of the same shot. Mm, I say no on that one, but go ahead. Well, down to 23. Uh, the Modern Masters series, uh, Volume 10, which is about Kevin Maguire. Yep. So he's in the middle of that shot. Uh, formerly known as the Justice League, number one. Yep. Ambush Bug Year None, number five. Okay. Uh, Justice League Rebirth, the variant cover, you know, very recent. Uh, retroactive 90s Justice League America, number one. Okay. Fanboy, number one. Justice League Generation Lost, number one. And number 24, variant covers, I think. And pinups. With, uh, there's a DC and Marvel B-listers one, the classic JLA, the women of the JLA, Justice League International, Batman 66, Cinematic Avengers Assemble, and one with Namor at the center and Hellboy at the back, which he calls his dream team. I found these all 15 minutes online. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, Joe X. Kevin McGuire does that one a lot. Let's put it back up to 24, because I'm pretty sure he did one of all the Doctors from Doctor Who. Oh, man. I'll have to look for that one. At least that's if my memory serves correctly. So, that's fantastic. Thank you for doing that research. If you don't mind sending that to me, because that's one of the things I'm sort of compiling for my Justice League International podcast, and that would save me a lot of legwork. 
<laughs> Thank you, sir. Uh, let's see. Then we heard from our buddy Dr. Ange from the Supergirl blog, Comic Box Commentary, and the Legion of Super Bloggers. He says, uh, one thing that resonates from this podcast and others from this network is that Siskoid is clearly chomping at the bit to do an episode focusing on Red Tornado's love life. Nope. Let's face it. Kathy's son might be designated as a buddy, but it really should have been labeled buddy with benefits. How can this not have been covered on the Lonely Hearts, given Cisco's clear interest in the topic? What's the benefit? You might have lost that in the English translation. I'm not mm. really sure. <laughs> a shoulder to cry on. Uh, Iced D, Michael Garibaldi here, says, um, Shag noted the quarterly newsletter that Mayfair mailed out. I never saw those. But I did see the full-page ads Mayfair would put into Dragon Magazine. I'm surprised you didn't mention these, since you featured the Blank Slate Firestorm ad on your blog a few years ago. Fantastic episode, as always, gentlemen. Well, we did mention them in our very first episode. Mm -hmm. We just didn't mention them in, in episode four. Yeah. And it probably depends on what exactly someone, uh, you know, when you bought the second edition box, because... I had a newsletter in it, you know, I, the one with the Day of the Superman and Wave Rider. That was included. I'm pretty sure that was included in my box. But I do know that still have it. But yeah, I probably Scan do. Scan that stupid thing and send it to me, you fool. I don't know that I have that one. I thought I already had for Mayfair this. Oh, maybe you did. I'll check. I'll check. We're going anyway, to talk about that a little more at the end too. Yeah, Mayfair used to do this because uh, I also bought uh, Cosmic Encounter, the board game from them, mm -hmm. and their newsletter was in there with lots of new powers and cool. So if, if anyone has a different issue that they got in their box, I'd like to know. All right. Uh, let's see. I heard from Mark Baker Wright from the Black. Rock's Toy Box blog. He says, I suppose Firestorm already got quite a lot of paper real estate in this book, but I was disappointed to learn that the blank slate era was completely ignored while Dr. Fate got three listings. I guess that's also at least in part due to the fact that the female Dr. Fate, easily the most obscure of the three incarnations featured, had a current book on the shelves, of course. And I responded to Mark basically saying, actually, it's not so much because the Dr. Fate had her own series, it's because all three incarnations of Dr. Fate had recently appeared in the JLI in the past couple of years. Whereas, you know, he specifically mentioned the blank slate Firestorm. Well, it, that was just in one panel that Firestorm appeared in there. And that, if I recall, that was Justice League number 24. I, actually, I guess now that I say this, he was in issue number 10 as well. But, um, I don't, and I don't think the elemental version even appeared at all in the JLI. So I think we're lucky to have gotten that version in, of him at all in the real estate. So, and of course, if you want the blank slate version, that's over on my Firestorm fan blog. Then we heard from my buddy Jimmy McGlinchey from our Irish embassy. And that's a JLI call out if you don't know what I'm talking about. And he says, uh, Shag, you were wondering about Dr. Light, the good one, her involvement with the Japanese embassy. And because I did, yeah, in that episode I did pose, I'm like, when did she join them? He says that came about in the Justice League America annual number three, when the JLA and the JLE teams were touring the embassies. Uh, Dr. Light appeared there, and she was examining the comatose rising sun who was there after the events in Justice League Europe number two. Thank you, Jimmy. I appreciate that clarification. Uh, as for Jeff R., he says, did you guys, and thus the source book, not mention the Lobo at all? Pretty strange for someone who was almost a member for a while, given the informality of membership in that era, at least. He was on a mission monitor board thing for Oberon at one point, at least. Also, due to that informality, it's probably impossible to say if the next member to join would be General Glory or Blue Jay slash uh, Silver Sorceress. Do you think Lobo was a member? I, I don't think Lobo was a member. Well, actually, you know, Jeff's on to something. You know, being yeah. that I've been rereading these Justice Leagues lately, there is a period where Lobo sort of declares himself. I don't, I don't remember what words mm. are used, but he basically says, I'm hanging out with the team now. And it wasn't because he wanted to. It was, it was, he had a sneaky backdoor mission he was working on at the time, but 
but he spends quite a few issues hanging out with the team. He hangs around the embassy and stuff like that. So if you're going to have a whole section of allies, you know, or even enemies, he probably would have been pretty fitting, actually. Well, if you're going to include the Creeper, then... Right. Yeah, yeah I think exactly. Lobo counts. Uh, well, if you, you're looking for stats for Lobo, he does appear in the 2996 Legion source book, which is another favorite of mine. And as since Jay and uh, the Sorceress do get stats uh, under Heroes of Angor... General Glory would have been the character we narrowly missed getting the stats for, and his dog. And the world's a little less for that. So Then we hear from our buddy Brian Linton. He says, hello, my name is Brian, and I'm an RPG addict. Wow, it feels good to finally admit that fact. <laughs> Hi, Brian. Say, Hi, Brian. He goes on <laughs> to say, back in the day, I too used to frequent my local Walden books, where I would buy up all manners of RPGs. I hardly ever played the games, but I spent hours creating characters and reading the lore. <laughs> Brian, you are not alone in that category. Then he goes on to say, finally, I wouldn't worry yourselves about the timing of the episodes. I consider them to be all the more valuable for their rarity. Wow, well, thank you. But considering this is the third episode in 2017, I'm afraid we're setting a horrible precedence. <laughs> what do you think, Cisco? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, preparing the fourth right now. Okay. Uh, now, as I was uh, going through this, you know, I, in the episode, in episode four, I did discuss how the JLI were given preferential treatment in that book, and I speculated about how prominent the JLI would have been featured in the future RPG source books. Well, specifically the West End Games one, I looked forward into the JLA RPG source book from West End Games. It was about ten years later, and dude, this was when Morrison had turned the JLA into like a runaway hit for them. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, the JLI stats don't even appear in the book. They get mentioned briefly in the history, but no stats at all. Wow, how the mighty have fallen. Ouch. Rough. Uh, let's look at a another chapter of Diablo Frank's biography. Uh, <laughs> you know him, of course, from World Spine Podcast Network, Marvel Superheroes Podcast, DC Bloodlines Podcast, Idol Head of Diablo, Martian Manhunter Podcast, Diana Prince, the New Wonder Woman Podcast, and many more podcasts and blogs and mostly comment sections, really. I have to say this. You say where we know him from. I also know him from recently, him trying to drink me and all my friends under the table at Heroes Con not too long ago, and he did pretty darn well. I hear that our network did not do so well in the drinking under the table contest. <laughs> no, one of our forerunners ended up hungover and puking the next morning. <laughs> wasn't me. Wasn't me. Well, I wasn't there to defend the title. There you go. Nor would I have been very good at it. Um, let's see. Among other things, he says uh, super strength is one of John's least unique powers, so I have no problem with him being outmuscled by Power Girl or any other Kryptonians slash Daxamites, etc. I still call it crap. But if he wasn't one of the weaker examples of A-class strength, he couldn't get his ass kicked in every third jail adventure to establish a threat <laughs> another leaguer has to overcome. <laughs> This is the Martian Manhunter expert people, so you know I take him at his word. He also said about the Atom, he said, should have a higher scientist rating than Batman and a much better martial artist rating than Green Arrow, who wouldn't have survived 10 minutes in Morlade. Dude was a barbarian warlord who fired his whole body like an arrow through other people's bodies. When Batman uses an eraser as a trampoline and ricochets from one crook to the next, then he can get the higher acrobat rating. Major Atom defense. Uh, on Red Tornado, he says... Uh, Tornado has a lot going for him that amounts to nothing once you factor in that he's Red Tornado. He has a... (laughs) He has a high connection to Kathy Sutton and a skill of nine in marital aid. Ouch. I, I do like this comment. This is way down at number nine. He says, I just can't with Crimson Fox. She's the impoverished Frenchman's Catwoman. Vixen is wondering what you're doing in her seat. 
She's a bit better than that. Hey, she's made it on TV since last time we uh, did that episode. Exactly. On Despero, I want to say Despero, and is it Despero? And I know it's Despero. He says, it's Despero, like Desperado, but shorter. For freak's sake, watch any cartoon, man. Despero is the nuclear, well, the nuclear of Shag's supervillain vocabulary. It sounds like <laughs> the world's most depressing breakfast cereal. It has the word despair in it. Despero. It sounds like he's desperate. I said it as Despero for years. I And I wouldn't be surprised if I mispronounce it from time to time still to this day. I like Despero, but I guess it's Despero. I, whatever. So he says also the Royal Flush Gang. Shouldn't they save a tree and just list their stats as roll a five or higher to beat a lot of them? <laughs> Oh, that's not bad. That's pretty funny. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Frank. We appreciate all that. Then a final comment from episode four, again, in the Justice League sourcebook. We heard from Bradley Null, and he says, Huzzah! For that once-a-year opportunity to hear about superhero RPGs from the superhero fan point of view, there are plenty of RPG podcasts that sometimes do supers, but most are from the gamer perspective. Even though it's rare, it's nice to see games from a super fan's view. Well, thank you, Bradley. We appreciate that. That is sort of the way we look at this. And, uh, you know, Cisco had said it at the top of the show, but let's just bear repeating. If you want to hear your comments read on the air, your best place is to go to our website. Yes, there's social media. Yes, there's Facebook and Twitter and Grinder and Tinder and all that crap. Your best place to leave your comments, though, is at the Fire and Water Podcast website. That way we'll be sure to see it and read it on a future episode. And yeah, don't leave them on Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> That, that was not a good suggestion. Okay. Well, we have another episode to look through the uh, as far as feedback goes, because since last time, we also had the fifth episode, Megs versus Phaser Rip, where we uh, we clashed with our, our friends, Dr. G, Man of Nerdology, and uh, David Gallagher, who apparently love the Marvel superheroes game more than they do the DC Heroes RPG which is absurd. We've got comments on that one as well. And we're, we're not even going into the large discussion that happened on Facebook uh, on the uh, on the Megs page because those people were biased. Well, okay, it happened on the Megs page. It happened on David Gallagher's page. It happened on my page. It was all over Facebook. Huge debates, which was great. It was awesome. Everyone had their own mini debates before the podcast was released and after the podcast was released, which were wonderful. But again, we're going to focus in on the comments from the website. Let's start with Alexander M. Osias from Armchair Gamer Blog, who, um, when he found out already a second episode this year, I rolled to disbelieve. <laughs> Uh, too funny. You failed your save, sir. <laughs> exactly right. Again, for, for this episode, too. We heard from our buddy Sphinx Magoo, which I love his name. It's, just, it's kind of funny how Shag says that the Marvel RPG players tend to play Marvel characters while the DC RPG players played their own characters. Zooming ahead to the 21st century, that's the kind of design mindset behind the online games. The Marvel superheroes game has players play as Marvel characters. There might be different costumes and skins to keep everyone happy, but they're all characters we've seen in the comics. The DC Universe Online game lets you make characters inspired by your favorite heroes and villains, but the costume design and personalization is totally up to the player. Look at that, dude! I'm so observant and smart. Heard from our buddy Chris Franklin again. He says, even though I never really got to play the DC game I owned, uh, as I mentioned before, sob, I remember thinking that the Marvel system looked cheap by comparison. Christopher, you are correct. Oh, harsh. 
Bradley Null chimes in again. He says, this was a fun debate. I'm a GURPS Supers guy who was a Champions guy. I never liked the licensed games as much. I did like the DC game supplements better, but that's because I had a friend who came up with a conversion table from DC to both games. Uh, he also helped us switch between Champions and GURPS. He claimed the word system for Marvel was too hard to convert, but he was a Legion fan who hated anything with an X on it, so I suspect a bias. The words do have number values, so, you know, but I get it. Uh, I'm also a GURPS head, uh, like him, but while I've run the game in many genres and settings, Old West, Time Travel, Auto Duel, Vikings, Mars, Steampunk, Ice Age, some of them even overpowered, uh, like Black Ops and Mecha, I never did get to run any Supers game. I did manage to talk about GURPS Supers on the Dial G for Gamer. I think it's uh, episode two. Check that out at Pulp to Pixel Podcasts. See what you think. You should be checking them out anyway, because they were part of that uh, this big crossover, the debate right now that we're talking about. We have a listener called Michael who says, for DC's Meg supplement, DC editors actually wrote some of them, especially DC Second Edition. They even had Neil Gaiman write about magic. My understanding was Marvel was very hands-off for the RPG with TSR. Uh, yeah, editors and writers both contributed. We talked about Alan Moore. Check out our second episode of Hero Points for an interview with the writer of the Atlas of the DC Universe, Paul Kupperberg. Woohoo! And I still stand by Atlas of the DC Universe, best game oh, yeah. source book ever. No doubt about it. Heard from a, a friend named Mark C. He says, Terrific episode, guys. I had both the original DC Heroes Edition and the Marvel Super Heroes Advanced games, spending much of my childhood poring over these books as I did with Who's Who and Ohatmu. I almost said Ohatmu or not, but anyway. Uh, he goes on to say, My favorite is the Marvel game because it's the one I played with a group of friends, but I have a deep appreciation for both. And he uses hashtag FindYourJoy. That's awesome, Mark. And you clearly understand the mantra of this network. Uh, Slobberknocker says, uh, DC Heroes wins. My reasoning is cuz. And DC has Firestorm and Dr. Fate. So, you know, when when the game has your heroes, for sure, that gives you a little... A little bit more incentive. And and this commenter also wins because he mentions Firestorm, Dr. Fate, and his name Slobberknocker. I mean, come on. That's just awesome. Is that just one of your alternate accounts? <laughs> I have no idea who it is, but he likes all the same stuff I do. <laughs> Uh, heard from our buddy Diablo Frank again. He says, I bought the Marvel Super Heroes yellow box in 1989 and still have the tattered remains of the battle book, campaign book, and that folded sheet of eight character cards. It was the basic game. I played once or twice with my brother and cousin in the dumbest fashion possible. Like, I was into the Punisher and my cousin was into having his Hulk beat up my Punisher. <laughs> Uh, it goes on to say, I bought the Mayfair 3rd Edition DC book and some supplemental stuff in the late 90s and actually had some fun campaigns uh, off of that using mostly original characters. And then finally he says, the Marvel TSR just felt like a cash-in on the fad, where the care and quality of DC Mayfair shines on. I still buy the odd DC supplement just because they're well done and insightful resources with attractive exclusive art. Yes, absolutely, Frank. Stephen Marsh, uh, who um, was and perhaps still is, but an editor for a Pyramid magazine for Steve Jackson Games. I like it when pros find us. Hey, well, he's he's also a former coworker of mine. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't we know. used to work together at a comic book store. Yeah. Uh, he says, a good podcast. I might have liked a bit more love for the DC solo adventures, but that's just me. The Batman one is one of my favorite solo adventures of any RPG ever. The only additional comment I had is that there was a tone difference between the two games that I've had a hard time describing. The DC Heroes game was more analytical? scholarly something like that the second edition of the batman source book for example had fairly scholarly articles like 
Is Batman sane? And is Batman a killer? That still stand up well today. The Superman adventure Countdown to Armageddon opens with the classic Clark Kent is on a train where the bridge is out scene that breaks down pretty much every possible action a PC would make. It also begins with a super geeky technical GM note at the beginning that kind of shows the analytical nature of the line. In Action Comics number 546, Superman uses sunspot activity to make Brainiac malfunction. Brainiac has since developed defenses against this. That adventure also had great props that I used for my Clark Kent costume at Gen Con a couple years ago. The Atlas of the DC Universe is still an amazing source book of a fake universe. In contrast, the Marvel material was usually much breezier. For example, the supplement New York, New York should be a guide to New York City. But instead, it's a fairly light selection of super short scenes and 16 pages of characters. This doesn't mean I dislike the Marvel stuff. I own pretty much all of it. Some of the material is absolutely brilliant. Every treatment of magic in the Marvel game is pretty much a delight. But... It just didn't reward the same kind of invest yourself fully into that world mindset that DC Heroes RPG did for me. And he, you know, gives a little example about the the magic stuff. He says the original Marvel campaign book had one of the most amazing sequences ever. Uh, by the hoary hosts of Hogoth and by Emir's frozen sea, I invoked the flames of Faltine to produce a cup of tea. Mmm, that's hot. Calling on extra-dimensional beings for a cup of tea is like using a bazooka to kill roaches. So... <laughs> Dude, I remember that so clearly. Really? Oh, very, very clear. Because I had those early Marvel box sets, right? And so I remember that very, very well. In fact, I think that's probably the first time I ever heard that expression, using a bazooka to kill a roach. But uh, I absolutely love that. I could never memorize it, but oh, so glad Stephen printed it there. That's awesome. Yeah, and Alexander Ozias uh, chimed in to say he loved that Doctor Strange invocation and memorized it for fun. Good for him. That's awesome. Then we heard from our buddy Dr. Ange again. He says, I was definitely a DC gamer and thought the attribute point was a very good thing, making charts and roles easier to figure out rather than harder. I also thought that the concept of hero points was very much like comics. It became something of an easy answer when faced with crazy things in comics or sci-fi. Now, to, uh, in fact, to, to, to support this fact, uh, Dr. Ange was tweeting for a while there on, on Twitter. Whenever Supergirl would do something sort of like outlandish in the Supergirl TV show, he would say, why could she do this? Hero points. Uh, anyway, he goes on to say, this made me pull out my Legion supplements and look at the stats, motivations, and all the great character stuff those books added to the mix. He kept our brand alive that week. Yes, he did. <laughs> Paul Hicks from Waiting for Doom podcast says, I listened to this. <laughs> so I promised him I'll be sure to mention it in the listener feedback, which I have. Well done. Excellent. Uh, we heard from our buddy again, Mark Baker Wright. He goes, I have to confess, I've never had to... Uh, either the DC nor the Marvel RPGs, and thus I can't quite join in the sense of nostalgia that many of you do when listening to Hero Points. Still, I found it entertaining bit to listen to, and I've always learned something. He goes on to say he used to produce a podcast, but that went by the wayside, and now listening to us has caused him to sort of toy with the idea of picking up podcasts again, which I think is great. That's awesome, Mark. And uh, he, he quotes the mantra, find your joy. Fantastic. Pointless ephemera. Uh, I love that It's a handle. website, too. <laughs> Uh, says, I've owned a copy of the Advanced MSH set for almost 20 years now, and it's hands down my favorite ever RPG. I love how you can pick it up, play it in minutes, and it only needs one chart, regardless of what Shag claims. <laughs> I've run two separate campaigns over the years. The most recent one was set in the 80s with player-generated PCs and featured the heroes winning the Eurovision Song Contest after they'd beaten up the Latverian entry, which sounds great. So this starts the debate. Is pointless ephemera... Uh, I can't even say it. 
ephemera. ephemera. Is it secretly Professor Allen or is it secretly David Gallagher? It's one of the two. It's got to be. <laughs> Just kidding. Then we heard from our buddy Gene Hendricks from the Hammer Strikes podcast and blog, Legends of the Superheroes, the Quantum Cast, and much more over on the Two True Freaks Network. He says, having never played the DC game, even though I own many of the source books, I can't tell you which game is better. What I can tell you is what we did for the Marvel game. My group of friends and I played the advanced version of Marvel all through middle and high school, and even into college. We always played characters based on ourselves with superpowers. For example, one of my first characters was me with Dark Force Generation and Manipulation, codenamed Spectre. This character changed over time, but it was still me. And he goes on to describe in a lot more details. The name of their team is the South Jersey Avengers. It cracks me up. Uh, makes me think of that Redneck Avengers thing on YouTube. He goes on to say, I still have many of the handbook supplements, which I agree are better than the DC version, since they are designed to be all-in-one, not additions to the Who's Who entry. That's a fair point. Those Marvel, uh, those Marvel handbooks are pretty cool looking. Trey Hook says, I can't bear myself to say Shag was right, so I'll default to say Siskoid was right what we were on the same side it's it's fine <laughs> he agrees with both he says i've always had both games but marvel was the easier system for me to understand flash forward 25 years and based on this episode i suggested playing with my kids 7 and 10 first edition instead of marvel which they had recently started i read the getting started the first half of the player's book and took them through titans nevermore Ooh. we didn't finish the adventure but man it ran smooth and the kids enjoyed it it was a weird hybrid of wolfman perez titans and teen titans go i chuckled every time my son said we're the titans of jump city i liked a lot <laughs> of points that were brought up in the podcast and found them to be true especially the way opposing results gave a sense of continual defense so you didn't have to spend actions dodging the only thing i found confusing is equipment deathstroke sword didn't have uses but wonder girl's lasso did etc i'm really interested in how they address game balance and finding the right challenge for a group of players for me this is where a lot of supers games even point by break down uh first i'll say that you know uses were gone by second edition replaced by reliability uh, and for guns there was still ammo uh but much simpler and truer to life uh, that was like the, that mechanic was like one of the best fixes from first to second edition. Yeah. But he proves our point that, you know, I, I kept saying that this game was invisible and that players could get into the world and their imagination and only the game master had to understand the rules. For me, it felt like a, an easier entry point than Marvel superheroes. Well, of course you're right. And since uh, David and Dr. G aren't here, we can just freely admit that pff, Marvel, whatever... I mean, come on, it was all about DC. <laughs> you know, they're screaming at their little Zonophones right now, like, no! Then we heard from Major Anarchy, who also may go by the name Sean, although I think Major Anarchy's probably on his birth certificate. He says, I really love this podcast. I owned the Marvel system when I was young and loved it. Some items you brought up on your podcast are not correct. He says, Aunt May could never kill Galactus with a knife. Body armor or true invulnerability came into play. All right, this is Shag now. Now, I did say Ant May could kill the Hulk, not Galactus. And I'm pretty sure the whole invulnerability thing came about in second edition, not the original Marvel box set. But I, I could be wrong. I might give you a pass there, Major Anarchy. But that's just my memory. Anyway, he goes on to say Spider-Man could never beat Fire Lord or the X-Men in this system. Also, you have a predictability factor. If Thor and Hercules were fighting, uh, if either landed four hits, the opponent would be unconscious. Maybe less if you stun them, but no more than four. So what he's talking about is that the game mechanics were very predictable. You know, And he goes, it, it really ultimately wasn't very comic book accurate. That being said, he loved the game at the time, and you can play a, a lot of house rules on any of these items. Then he says, I 
got the DC Heroes for some time after, but I never played. I would think, reading the rules, Spider-Man has a better chance of beating Firelord or the X-Men using the hero points and the luck of the dice, much more so than Marvel Superheroes. So I think what he's saying is he, he loves the Marvel Superheroes game and was really knowledgeable about it. But it sounds like he's saying DC's got you know a leg up on it. Actually, it's probably not what he's saying at all, but that's how I'm going to choose to interpret it. Well, even David and, and Dr. G kind of sounded like they were uh, DC fans by the end. <laughs> uh, American Hawkman says, uh, Much as I love Megs, there's a reason I play Phaser Rip more often and have for 30 years. Speed of character creation, Megs requires a session zero, as opposed to Marvel. Phaser Rip requires 10 minutes while the pizza is being ordered. That's true. Marvel is a lot faster out of the gate. Then we received an email from Mark Brinkman. He says, just stumbled over your podcast after Googling for the old DC Mayfair RPG. I played a lot of DC heroes. Uh, I GM most of it, several campaigns for an old group. And he says, the old gang is split up across the country now, but I still have fond memories of some of those wild events and campaigns we ran. DC's always been my favorite system. And he says he was heavily involved in some DC discussions on the net before, so uh, so much so that he got his name dropped in the credits of the Bloody Heroes rulebook. How cool is that? So, folks, if you've got the Bloody Heroes rulebook, bust it out and, and see the uh, acknowledgement to Mark Brinkman. Nice. Jonathan Baldridge says, I just wanted to write to ask if any of you guys from the podcast still play DC Heroes RPG or Marvel Superheroes, or if you play a newer Supers RPG. If so, what one? Well, the episode gives you one answer. You know, I've recently played with DC Adventures from Green Ronin. How about you, Shag? You know, on one of the recent episodes, I told you how I, I joined a group and we were doing, uh, was it Paragons and Travelers or something like that? As predicted, the group has sort of drifted apart. It's nothing to do with the game. It's just all of our lives have gotten very busy. So we still hang out as friends. We just haven't had a chance to get together for role-playing. Such a bummer. I was really enjoying it, too. Then I got two final comments uh, directed basically at me uh, from uh, talking more about those uh, newsletters. Because I put a call out asking people if they had more of these newsletters. And we heard from Blue Lightning, who goes by John. Again, I think Blue Lightning's probably on the birth certificate. He says, just heard your call and a hero points number four for anyone who has copies of the DC Heroes newsletters that may first sent out quarterly, and he gave me a list of certain ones he has, which is awesome. And Robert Markham uh, did the same and sent me some of his. And I got to tell you, I am horribly negligent in getting back to you guys. I'm so sorry, Blue Lightning and Robert Markham. I will make an effort to look these up as soon as possible, figure out which ones I have, and try to combine all these efforts together, and we'll have a, uh, a repository for as many of these newsletters as possible, especially when Siskoid finally sends me his that he's been promising for years. I, I thought I had. Might be a, an idea for a whole episode if we collect them all together. Ooh, they're fun. Yeah, it might be a reason to, to talk about something. We are planning a, a fourth episode in 2017. We are? <laughs> we are. In which we will uh, no doubt open the mailbag and, you know, read your comments on this episode about DC Adventures from Green Ronin. Tell us if you like Fern better than Shag. Hey, uh, anyway. hey, 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 hey. Wait a minute here. <laughs> Well, you know the answer is going to be no. It will be once I finish editing the feedback document. <laughs> uh, so you can leave, just like we said earlier, you can leave those comments at fireandwaterpodcast.com, of course, on the Fire and Water Facebook page, or on Twitter, hashtag FWPodcast for easy finding. Awesome. And uh, you can find me at Firestorm Fan on, on both uh, Facebook and Twitter. But uh, more importantly, I think the only thing left to say, Siskoid, is let's, let's roll. roll.